the Crash Chords Podcast. I'm John. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And today we're going to round out our centennial. We're going to go with centennial. I'm tired of yearly or episodically or, or, or grouping of 25 that we're going to call it. It's our centennial then episode. And it would be our 2.5th centennial. Yeah, we've been... 2.5th. Fifth. friends with you guys. Fifth. 2.5th. 2.5th. Ah, that sounds weird. Mine didn't sound weird at all. Second and a half. That's no, second and a half. <laughs> You're half. still in the same problem, same half. boat. Join me know, in my weird grammatical boat. I don't know if it's past I'm sure there was a point to this, wasn't there, John? No, there wasn't. Uh, we're rounding out our <laughs> seasonal exploration of music right before we hit our 250th episode with my pick. I get to, I get to end it, put a, a period point right before we you know, go into whatever we're going to go to for the 250. We'll explain that at the end. But and right now, we're going to be doing... Go figure, electronica. Because <laughs> I love electronica. And I was feeling a little down in the dumps. I was feeling a little morose, a little bit depressed, and I was looking so for... So it was a Tuesday. Yeah, kind of. Mm. Um, and I stumbled upon a track called Grains by a musician, a DJ called Bonobo. And I went, hmm, this is pretty good. And it made me feel a little bit better. So I went into his other work, and luckily it was from this year, because I think some of his older stuff gets actually pretty far back. He's been around for the better part of a decade at least. Now, the question is, did you feel better as in the music was an antidote for the morose nature? Or was the music a catharsis that deepened the sensation, and after having felt that catharsis, you felt better? And they are two different things. You're giving away today's discussion. Ah, uh, did I? Uh, yeah, kind of a little bit. Uh, did kind of a little I really? Bit. <laughs> but I discovered Migration by DJ Bonobo. And it was part of that, uh, what's called down tempo, a, a kind of a low-key, trip-hop-oriented electronica music. It tends to be a little bit more on the experimental side, but it's something that I've tried to bring on multiple times as sort of quiet non-intrusive yeah maybe it's heavy in the beat maybe it's it's all over the place with some of its forms but for the most part this sort of experimental it's actually very low volume very quiet when the club wants to bring it down a notch that's where it originally came from just taking hip-hop beats and slowing them down and slowing them down a little bit more and changing the register and making everything a little bit on the relaxing side well first of all bonobo is uh simon green that is the name of the the whole guy behind this thing, although there are featured artists. And speaking to what you just said, there is something about this this album, The Migration, that is the study of people and spaces. This is information you can find on his band camp. And he postulates, or posits, however you wish to say it, it's interesting how one person will take an influence from one part of the world and move with that influence and affect another part of the world. Over time, the identities of places evolve. So... This is very familiar. I feel like we had this discussion recently, but maybe not. Maybe it was me having the discussion with me in my mind. Could be. Probably. I was thinking very heavily about the subject and how places do change over time and how sometimes it's not always for the worse. We do tend to like things kind of staying in place because they're familiar. And while they're familiar, you know it and doesn't feel threatening. But sometimes evolution has to occur in your given environment. Sure. I mean, you know, I think as simple creatures, we are essentially afraid of change, period. And so looking at things that are evolving, changing, and shifting, people tend to sometimes um, 
not feel calm or relaxed in those situations. Mm-hmm. And indeed, there is a transitory nature to the album, not only through its, I'm just reading from Bandcamp now, <laughs> not only through its themes, but also through its guests and found sounds. So it's another one of those um, field recordings type thing. And where would um, you have that last? Was that Flying Lotus or had we had that since? I believe no. we had that in Twin Two Changes. Two Changes, oh, two changes yeah. had yeah. the field, field recordings, that that's right. That hurts my feelings. What, that I forgot that album? Well, that you seem to forget every album I bring on. I didn't forget Flowbots. Still listen to that one. <laughs> Two Changes is not a very forgettable album. <laughs> That's also true. Um, but this album, like I said, it was I was feeling a little bit down in the dumps, and it was an album that fit my mood extremely well. Um, it has a very low-key kind of a nature to it, and I don't know, the, the, the various noises that are being used, because this is partially electronica, partially acoustic, partially vocals, partially vocalization it's a little bit of everything on this album Mm -hmm. and what i enjoy in more ambient oriented music and okay i'm gonna put that out there right now it is ambient or at least it has a lot of ambient leanings in it i would hesitate to call it flatter and ambient because i feel like there are moments where my mind is very active with it um i would but i would say it is kind of passive it's more reserved you know it's not we're not it's another day where we're dealing with a band that's not looking to shake you by your shoulders until you fall over. Like, there's definitely more subtlety in it. And, you know, like yesterday's album, this one, too, is softer and more subtle. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's actually a good uh, categorization of this. But I also think there's, there has to be a distinction between, you know, the ambient really is... It, it, it it's dis- supposed to be background. But no, not even just that. It, it abolishes rhythm of most kinds, you know, in terms of just that tempo, that pulse. You're supposed to kind of lose track of the pulse in ambient music. It's just supposed to be... It, it is supposed to flow over you as would uh, just the background sounds of the room, your environment. It becomes the new environment. This can do that, but it has that double meaning. You can still use it, you know, dance floor, club, all that stuff. It, yes. Both places. Which is why I said leanings. Yeah. It's it's it, it can function as something as a background piece, but it also does stand up on its own. Which is why so. yeah. you find it in the same the same listings. Like, this would appeal to same crowd as ambient music would. Yeah, of course. I, w- I would definitely see that sort of a thing. But it does have distinct rhythms. It does have distinct instrumentation. This isn't, you know, just a re- field recording of an empty apartment or something like that. It has more going for it. No, I'm not even exactly <laughs> sure what kind of uh, field recordings, or found sounds, rather. That, that was the specific phrase that was used here. I'm not exactly sure which are the found sounds and which are the actual session musicians, because you do have a lot of session musicians here, um, or at least certain sounds that are listed as separate instruments, which means we could probably say in at least a few of these instances that they're not all synth, but that they've been used and, and incorporated into the work. So I, I really don't know. I can only... Th- think of a couple and the couple that i can think of is found sounds on this album the more acoustic oriented are actually from another group that's not found that's deliberate <laughs> i think the term found sounds you're using it to replace field recordings it can still be a field recording even if it has intent and all this discussion i wanted to bring up before we discuss the album cover because i think it actually all speaks to what the album cover itself is doing first off the broad strokes of what's going on here It's a canyon, primarily the browns and blues, and a lot of bleed over between the two, with a bush in the middle that's on fire. And not just on fire, but an explosion of fire upward. It's natural. It's a setting that is also insular within itself because the canyon walls are covering everything on your peripheral vision. 
But at the same time, there is a moment in the middle, in the very middle of the cover itself, of action, of heat, of something more than just the cool browns and blues that we're being presented with. What's interesting about that is the column of flame above it, what I thought was originally clouds, actually looks like a pillar of smoke. It looks to have too much density to actually just be a cloud. The sky is otherwise blue, except for that cloud, and the cloud doesn't even look like gray and sooty like a, um, like a factory smoke or anything. It does look natu- like natural occurring smoke from a naturally occurring fire. It, it, well, it's kind of strange. It's in the middle. Like, it actually has the texture of a cloud, but the shape of it, I agree, it does look like a plume, almost as if there were a volcano in the distance that we can't see, and we can only see the plume from that volcano, because it doesn't appear connected at all. Yeah. Obviously, the flame that we're looking at is too small. It couldn't have produced that, and the uh, background foreground is completely off, so that's just a coincidence, I guess, that the two things happen to kind of line up vertically. But the thing that's also weird is that flame, you can't even really pin the source. It, it looks like just a superimposed flame. It's not actually like the bush is on fire. I'd want to say something like the, the burning bush. That's the reference, maybe. But it's just, it looks like another frame. It's the only thing that is really weird and unnatural about this whole portrait. Except maybe a couple things on the color scheme, but I'll, I'll leave that aside. You assume everything else is natural, then the flame is just like an anomaly. But if you zoom in on the flame, you can actually see the sprigs of the bush on fire. And so that's what makes it not look artificial. So it is actually a very curious thing. I'm, I'm feels... zooming up. I don't, I don't see them on fire at all. Really? I see the ones on the fringe on the side? I would see more embers than that. It looks like they just... Like, there's, there's oranges outside of the column of fire that I'm seeing on the left-hand side that, to me, looks like those sprigs are on fire. I wouldn't. Uh, I would think it would have spread, like, a little further over, and it's just going vertically. And I get that. But again, the fire itself I know heat rises, but, does you know, look natural in that image. I would say that the fire is originating from the ground itself in front of said bush. Mm-hmm. It's the simplest explanation because there actually is no burning that I see of the bush itself, but it doesn't seem like a separate image, like a superimposed image. It still is distinctly within the same framework. The coloration of the bush itself seems to be drawing from the flame. Like, it, there seems to be a little bit of, of a reflection going on right there. I don't know. The, the There's something that's really off about this. Like, I look at the source, way down at the bottom there, and there must only be, like, a few little... Uh, twigs that are actually producing this fire, and yet the fire is so strong. I mean, it could... and yet I, w- I would think I would see more heat and more like white hot coming from the source. You don't see any of that. Instead, it's all kind of a generic fire color until the top, where it's more red than it should be. It's pyrotechnics. At the end of the day, it is just straight up a pyrotechnic effect. And what I'm guessing but, is, I think the hand of the artist is there. But yes, I think that the fire has not been photoshopped. I think that the source. Has been. I think it's been treated. Like, I think it's been color-treated. Well, the, at, whole, the, the whole piece itself has been color-treated. It yeah. has, yes, and that may be a product of it a little bit, but there's different color treatments going on in different places. I don't think it's just one filter that would create what I'm seeing. Well, actually, no, that that could actually exist in this sort of piece. The, the film grain itself has an older style. It doesn't seem like it's taking the same saturation of coloration that we're used to. It's pixel count is a little bit offset. Um, the heavy emphasis of blues within 
not just the sky, but the clouds taking on a lot of the blue hue. There's a little bit of a tongue twister going on right there. <laughs> as well as the canyon walls showing off a lot of blue and, to some extent, green even showing up here and there. More of a turquoise than anything else. But these combinations, it feels like they're, there's just a filter on top of everything, which can wash out a lot of that red it probably yeah and it. it probably is just a bluish filter but that must match the sky very easily then because the sky looks perfect to me because i don't actually see any anything off with the sky that just looks like a nice natural blue sky and it looks like when i'm looking at the clouds that actually looks like a fairly normal reflection of the blue sky off of the clouds from various angles so i'm actually not seeing a lot that's off in the clouds it looks like the kind of maybe a little bit of haze that you'd only get from the distance produced but the cliff itself, eh, that's different. That's where things get a little odd. It almost is like moonlight, but clearly that is in complete contrast to the clear blue sky. Like, Because you do sometimes get those little bit of blues, like right around the time where yeah. the moon is like, it, almost like a full moon, but this is the exact opposite time of day, it would seem. Uh, that's what I find kind of cool about this. But I agree about all the turquoises, um, despite the fact that you actually do find some rock faces, granted they're rare, that actually do have that hue. You yes, know? but this is this is a shading effect as opposed to the actual overall yeah. hue. Just the way that um, the grades themselves kind of wash out as it goes along. It's it's a lack of direct lighting, not just sunlight, but direct lighting that's preventing any sharp edges from appearing. Except on the left hand side, where you actually see light striking the rock work, you can see a lot more definition in the piece, a lot more specifics about the rocks themselves. That does say natural lighting and shows that it may have an overall wash on top of everything else just because of the stark contrast between bright sharp edges of reflected light and immediately next to it lots of very washed out blues and browns all right i uh seem to have some disagreements about this particular one but hey what do you feel from the album cover i guess that's really what we'd like to get to at the end of it all nothing really i have a um the connection of the art of the music to the art of the album cover is only in retrospect because I do see that sort of burst of energy in an otherwise kind of enclosed area, not a whole lot going on, very still, very quiet, not very brightly illuminated. It, it, it is speaking that way to me, which I think is a good metaphor for some of the music that we're about to get. All right. All right. I uh, Honestly, it does not actually lead me to the music that we're about to get, though, just because of the other places where I've seen album covers along these lines, where mm-hmm. you get that kind of washed-out feel, which almost looks like it's a kind of faded Technicolor a little bit. Um, the kind of color that they used to use in, like, uh, color movies in the late 40s and 50s and 60s that was cheap and that would degrade quickly. And so that by the time you watch them from, you know, our lifetime, from the 90s onward, they really never looked as good as when they were initially released. Uh, We always thought that was the actual color, and they actually have just faded really, really poorly. Kind of reminds me of that a little bit. But uh, that stuff, for some reason, tends to get incorporated a lot on prog album covers. Indie. Yeah. A lot of indie, a lot of rock, just general rocks pieces as well. All right. So, uh, yeah, no, does not lead me to down-tempo, <laughs> considering that nothing, I don't know what would, honestly. Let's start with the first track, and you can take us into it, John. Migration, self-titled. A single guitar note, not even a single guitar, a single guitar note tapping along to us. 
very mild piano work. Like, this is a very slow introduction, considering we're just getting a single sound and then two singular sounds. There's no variation going on right here. I like this. I like this right away as a very meek introduction. And the variation when it kicks in is fairly slow going. I mean, this reminds me of some stuff I've compared a couple of other things to. Stuff that was written by, you know, Steve Reich, a hailed minimalist composer, by the people who actually really like the term minimalist. Kind of, that's the way this begins. It's not exactly where it ends up, but it's sort of the same sense of layering where you get these small changes over a long course of time, and the uh, the detail is really more in these wider chord progressions rather than just in the moment. Because yeah, it's just the more meek uh, guitar at first, which gradually gets its earns its legs, and it's like the track is learning to walk almost, or that's how I'd imagine uh, learning to walk comes about in this kind of one layer after another of uh, cohesion and development. And then the piano, just to speak to that for a moment, it, very obviously very simple uh, and at a glance in the vertical it's very simple but in horizontally it is quite interesting how it gradually shapes the the overall color of it but rhythm it's just and one and one right beginning of the measure always that it's just the tail end and then the, on the beat and it's over this first minute or so of the piece that i feel like we're being introduced to a theme. And if this is the way we're going to be introduced to a theme or something that might become a melody, uh, I'm going to like it. Because this is the a very slow burn that is just sonically extremely enjoyable. The two pieces are working off of each other extremely well. And then when that minute 20 mark, give or take, comes in and we get the lightest of hi-hats, something that barely sounds like a hi-hat, more like just metal crinkling along in, in, in a back room somewhere else. Maybe it's loud there, but it's definitely not right here. Yeah, now maybe not even a hi-hat. Maybe it's just the cymbal, but very delicate cymbal work. It doesn't even sound as piercing. It sounds broader. Cymbals, the actual crash cymbal tends to have more, more, more breadth to it than the hi-hat. And it really is a great coating. Yeah, that the, the horns, the drums, all these things actually shape up the entire first two minutes of this uh, to be a thoroughly enjoyable experience. They could have done a whole album off of this. Yeah, it, it, it takes its time, this track. It doesn't rush into these other instruments, throwing them in and kind of trying to create this cacophony of music. It does pace along slowly enough that you can kind of let one instrument in, then sit with it, then they let another instrument in, and then you sit with it, and they let another instrument in, and you sit with it. It allows you to ponder the track really well, too. In fact, in the last 30 seconds before we hit, like, the 2.205 mark, mm -hmm. you get vocalization, like, very background, very... Almost sounds like a soundbite. It doesn't even sound natural. But at the same time, it, it gives a little bit of a jazzy feel, like mm -hmm. an upbeat tempo without mm -hmm. really changing the tempo at all, without really putting any extra emphasis in the rhythm section, in the drum-oriented soundscape. So when two minutes comes in, when two oh, I think it's 2.05, yep. the drums fully, like, really just hit hard as does for the something quiet... As does the bass. And the, that... the bass pulsing is really more what I noticed here. But yeah, it is accompanied with the, the loudness of the drums. Nevertheless, the bass, it, it was kind of a smear over everything, uh, which was interesting choice considering that everything had been so balanced up to that moment that I was surprised that suddenly he added this kind of, meh, it's a, it's a go-to tactic for that electronica... I don't want to say the beat drop moment necessarily, but it's something a little bit more energetic that probably could be utilized less for just the experience of it and actually maybe the uh, the live ex the live enjoyment of it. 
there's also the little like I want to say like arbitrary techno pieces arbitrary techno sounds like little beeps and bloops that show up that feel like a, a really solid layer of minute colorization on everything that stuff was more attractive to me and it was it was it actually shone out better because it was the only thing that was able to cut through the bass to me. And what was interesting about that stuff too is that there was a lot of what sounded to my ears anyway like natural sounds being mimicked by those synth sounds. Like I could have sworn one of those synth sounds sounded like a bird and then I could have sworn I actually heard a bird tweeting. I might not have but it's just the way those synth sounds were kind of programmed to mimic natural things. It made my brain kind of wander a little bit. I think there's a lot actually in the layering of this first track that could send your brain into a form of hallucination, actually. That's where, what like, I was thinking. You, you yeah. sit with something for maybe 30 seconds at a time, and you're not even sure what you... Because the subtle changes that occurred over that 30 seconds, if you're not following it moment by moment, it's like, well, what, what did I just hear? What did mm -hmm. I hear 10 seconds ago? You're always aware of what you're hearing in the, in the moment. Mm -hmm. But then if you just relax your brain for a moment, then it's always like in retrospect, things kind of... They fade away into something different in your memory. Yeah. And... and Talking about the progression of this track also, one thing I did like about it and likened it to yesterday's album is that I did feel very relaxed in this opening track, you know, especially once we get to the second half of it, you really are in this lighter, more airy place. It, 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 and it, it screams a kind of sunshiny brightness, not necessarily beach feeling or summer feeling like uh, yesterday, but it definitely made me feel kind of brighter and open when I heard that. It like made me perk up essentially. Even though at the three minute mark, it kind of like, it just all kind of cuts out and you just get a singular piano idea again. Mm -hmm. You get that singular piano note, which kind of starts a whole rebuild. But now the context has changed. Yeah. It's a little bit more energized. It's a little bit more insistent. So mm -hmm. we, we sit with that for like 30 seconds in the build and then we get a like a drum solo. Uh, it, yeah. it, was, it was a weird transitional part for me as far as the overall theme is going, but it... it at the end of the day, it feels very natural to keep getting different layers of texture appearing and stepping front of one another. The drum breakdown it was kind of interesting, and it was it was kind of a solo. It obviously was the spotlight at that point, yeah. and that was a weird contrast considering you know the 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 bass that had kind of been smeared over everything since the 205 mark. Uh, I, it was a weird series of emotions at that point. You know, like I said, I was on board up till 205. 205 was kind of odd because I, on one hand, it did amplify the feeling of the whole, but it, it didn't really uh, it didn't really push the story along. It just kind of, it almost feel like it climaxed just a bit prematurely because then once you remove that and you're left with the drums, that's a very hollow moment for the track. And I, I, I dithered as to whether this was you only feel that hollow is good once you've achieved a formidable high, if that makes any sense. And I wasn't exactly sure if we achieved that. I was far more attracted to the, the allure of the first two minutes. I almost wish that had kind of done more of its style, more of the same, actually, for the next two minutes, because you could have gotten a whole spectrum of new instruments, equivalent to what they did in, in the first two minutes, and kept that train going all the way up to this drum moment, which might have actually been a better flow, but eh, whatever. It was a choice. Well, after that drum moment, we get most of a minute, not a full minute, but most of a minute is a combination of extremely light piano and a, a playful back and forth between a very light 
tap and a very light pulse in the rhythm section. Well, it almost feels like it's about to actually transition here into a new section. Uh -huh. Like the chords are changing in this moment following the drum section. Uh, it does continue along for a while, but it almost feels like you're going to get a part B before it all kind of just takes a breath and goes back into part A, which yeah. is... Um, sort of a fusion of the main theme and with uh, I don't think they were using the bass as heavily but you get yeah. you get a sense of the theme here I know I'm not describing melody because there really is no melody to be found sort of yeah I, it's, I, it's I, really I, just like the topmost note in these overall chord progressions yeah, yeah. that's that's what you feel and so when you feel the round of it even though it takes a while for the round to go and you add some oomph behind it the, the power, that, that right there is your theme. And that, it defines this track in a very loose way. It leaves a lot of room for your imagination to take flight when they're not burying it in some of the more pervasive sound bites. Otherwise, this is a, a, a pretty amazing showcase of, of what his layering talents are as a DJ. And I think as far as an intro track goes, especially now coming back to it after having listened to it as many times as I have, I think it's a strong introduction to his style on the whole, which we get a lot of intro tracks on records that don't always do that. You know, we get intro tracks that are either kind of unrelated or they're just introducing you to the album per se, but not the artist's style. Now, I'm not fluent in his work, but I skimmed his other work, and this seems pretty indicative of the work he does. Honestly, this is not all that different from the stuff I really loved out of early TV on the radio. Mm -hmm. This is like David Siddick's work on uh, on Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes, an album I've talked about before, just whenever I kind of want to go back to this feeling just mm -hmm. a, a sensation the kind of stuff that was like there in the backdrop where you actually do have the heavy bass that's a point that it, this has in common where there's mm -hmm. something uh, much more electronic and industrial and pervasive alongside all these delicate acts of layering it's two things that don't seem like they should work they they kind of do here even though i uh, sounded like i was on the fence it's it's a style i'm very familiar with and i i could definitely be just dropped into and and find my way home track two Break Apart, featuring Rye? Yeah, R-H-Y-E. I believe that's pronounced Rye. Um, a female vocalist um, who does the singing on this record. We have, I think, four tracks that have distinct featured artists. Um, and this is the first of them. Um, the guitar, we get distinct guitar here in the beginning of the track. Or, or it's tinny, and I am assuming it's guitar... It's it doesn't it reminded me of a uke it reminded Steve a bit of a mandolin but it's not it doesn't particularly sound specifically like those instruments either and also we were not able to find that there are necessarily those instruments present There's but it does state that there is guitar work and so it's probably some kind of capoed guitar exactly. or it's played high up on the neck or on the low you know the brighter strings if, Either, you, if you put the capo really really far down on the neck or, yeah high up the neck high, yeah. I don't know if they say higher down I'm not a guitar yeah. player <laughs> nevertheless you go closer to the bridge and then you have a much much shorter span which is more equivalent to what you'd find on a mandolin or a ukulele but it was a nice uh, twinkling kind of start to the track um and I think a strong way to follow up the previous track. Um... What I liked even more than just it on its own, though, okay. was actually the way it paired with the keyboard once mm -hmm. that came in. Yeah. That, there was something about the keyboard. It sounded almost like a, a, a Mellotron. I believe there is Mellotron on this album. Yes. Uh, so it could have been that. Actually, I think there's Mellotron on this track, as I recall. Then that was probably it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'm but it's that pair. Something about that no, unique yeah. 
take on a guitar, if it indeed is a guitar, with the very warm blanket sound of the Mellotron, mm-hmm. and they just, they, they, they jived. They, j- they could have made anything along this groove. I probably would have liked it just for its sonic effect. Mm-hmm. And when the vocals do come in, they fill the same kind of sonic effect. They're bright vocals, very ethereal, very light. Not unlike the kinds of style of vocals we heard yesterday. Um, but with one with one big caveat though, they are there's a lot of post-production going into the vocals. Yes, the, for sure. Mm-hmm. The attack on it and the phasing effect that's being thrown on top of these vocals is not heavy-handed, but obviously present. I yeah. I am actually really enjoying this because if anybody's heard me before, I don't like just pure vocals if something is going to be in this vein of electronica. I like something that I can drive along to and like not listen to words, but mm-hmm. listen to emotions, listen to uh, just emoting, if anything. And here, the vocals are doing a little bit of both. You don't quite hear what's being said, but once you understand what the words are, you see the actual lyrics themselves, you will hear them, you will be able to pick them out. Mostly. And mostly. I like the fact that mostly is still the, the word I'm going to be using Do you know here. why? Because they take a step back at a certain point. You know, even just as soon as, like, the next uh, phrase. Like, this, you get, it's, it's hard to take all of this hate. It's hard to take all of this hate. This hate. And then you actually get a fairly long instrumental interlude immediately following that, where the, the shaking kind of enters in here. Uh, it gets a little bit, just trying to make the track a little more uh, rhythmically intricate or just mm-hmm. just interesting and then when the vocals come back they actually really do take a step back first move they think they never saw be careful with me be careful with mm, and then just kind of humming along mm-hmm. join with me mm, mm, just sort of they're grooving along with the track they almost feel like they're audience members in their own music at this point they're not very they're not as soaring as they began and also what's interesting about I those... say they her <laughs> <laughs> And what's also interesting about those vocals is that there's a sense of warmth and safety to them. So when they blend into the instrumentation, it lends that quality, I think, to the entire sonic structure of the song. You know, I I feel comfortable. I don't. F- I, I'm not worried. I'm relaxed. Um, but but beyond what the presentation is, I really think this song suffers because it still does in moments really lean on the vocals. Even though they do blend into the instrumentation, I still feel like this song isn't quite as um, experimental and uh, free-flowing as the previous track was. I agree. But what does show up that I do enjoy is uh, additional layers of blending um, in between the uh, first, I guess, chorus, because it seems to be repeated, and the next verse work that's done. You get a... Um, a synthesized horn sound that comes in and starts blending throughout the rest of it. And this adds an extra layer of like quivering effect on top of the vocal work. So the very phasing in and out or audience member, I like the way you put that, the audience member effect of just being there in the moment and sort of secularly experiencing the music and trying to imprint something on it. I guess that's how I want to take it. That I had a bit of a different context for that usage only because of the way she chooses to sing in certain instances where she's kind of just grooving along to her own music and she's not necessarily the star. Yeah. And she goes back and forth between those two things in the song. But yeah, I also heard the horns uh, enter in there at that stanza, we've thrown apart these pieces, we've thrown apart these pieces, so I don't go home, 
tell me love, tell me love, which was interesting because I first wanted to call that the chorus, but you're right, it is. it comes after the chorus because that's the only thing I think is the chorus here. It's the part that appears to be repeated on the album, I should have heard your fear, so it's on me, so it's on I should have heard your needs, so it's on, so it's on, so it's on. And that's the section that appears to really be the chorus. I, I uh, can't really say much, for except for the fact that the, the horns do stick around. Like, they come back periodically yes. throughout the piece. It's just the first time you really hear it is with that we've thrown apart these pieces. It was especially present in the the bridge section, yep. where a lot of stuff cuts out, and we're left with almost just the uke sound present. And then it's we get... guitar, yeah. And then we get the, the, the long-form horns sort of doing a string section. Like, I feel like it's... There were it's, swells, essentially. Yeah, it was string horns. But I heard another sound in here that actually felt like they were doubling up the brass with some woodwinds. And I believe I saw bass clarinet. Now, mm-hmm. I wonder whether these little things that I had, you know, seen online were actually a reference to the kinds of sounds that he was using on the synthesizer. I, I, I would think if they were mentioned, they were absolutely session musicians. Yeah, because there are names next to them. What we saw yeah, online, we there were performers. names. Yeah, we, we had have performers. performers so. No, it's just interesting that he's predominantly electronic, but there are so many session musicians here. So there is a huge acoustic element to this. And that, if that's correct, then I believe this is probably where we heard the bass clarinet. Something of that kind, maybe there's a synth alongside it. I don't know. All in all, for this song, for me, while I still liked it, I thought that compared to the migration, I, I, I just I didn't get the same kind of uh, carefree feeling that I got from migration. I think the vocals were a little distracting for me. It, it wasn't necessarily the distraction of the vocals, but Carefree is definitely gone by the end of this track. Yeah. Because the bass starts becoming the real focal point of what a lot of the other music is trying to say. And the bass shows how everything is really just like descending downward. That mm-hmm. the vocals end up sounding not haunted or anything like that. More just exhausted. More tired than anything. So... This, at the end, like, as exuberant, quote-unquote, exuberant as it feels in the beginning comparatively, by the end of it, it feels like this individual is just done. Mm-hmm. Just done. Just just ready to go to bed, go to sleep, and just rest, finally. And I like this effect. I like... Yeah. It's not just, you know, a, a burst of energy that causes you to feel tired. This is a wearing effect, a of, of falling apart effect. So... Break Apart, I guess, appropriate title name for the overall feel I got to this piece. Yeah, I was not distracted by the vocals, but I will say uh, to Matt's point that there was something about having seen the new world that he created in track one, there is something just a little bit disappointing about just, eh, let's have a let's have a pop track. An albeit loose pop structured track using his, his uh, style, his brand of instrumentation, but still a pop track. And there was just something a little bit like mm, run of the mill for that. As far as a choice. But when we go to track three, Outlier, we get percussion in the very beginning that gives me hope that we're going to go back to something more in track one. Because this tapping, I called it funky stick percussion. You know, just because of the way it taps and the way it rings out, it definitely was um, something that was unique, especially in the first few moments. It's on the k, because you got that, that, you know, that... It's basically that. It's yeah. that's that standard go-to beatbox thing. But on the, it's not just you know the the cheap uh, drum machine yeah. that you usually hear. It sounds extremely acoustic. Sounds it yeah. sounds it sounds live. It yeah. sounds like there are sticks right up against the microphone. And there's something about that that does separate it from the pack. Well, the other things that start showing up almost immediately are that 
that bass tone that feels like a bass pitched extremely high up, like it's it's hitting a register that I don't normally expect, and then the random-esque, random-ish chime work that comes in, the bells, the tinkling that shows up. It's a synth, yeah. Which shows a layer of texture that I wouldn't really expect from something that was a lot more hip-hop oriented, which is how I immediately took this piece. Like the first few moments, I was like, it's hip-hop. It's right there. That's trip-hop. It's not even like anything else but just hip-hop because it's going to give me that very steady beat right away and I'm expecting things almost five seconds in and then I'm almost immediately going, oh no, I made a mistake. <laughs> and I like that. I love that. That was a great little like moment. Well, I think what adds to that for sure is like we're talking about that synth, those synth sounds that come in. The way they ring out and reverberate against the percussion that's happening creates this kind of layered effect that I think is very curious. You know, it's not super familiar, even though, like Steve said, the basic core of this rhythm is pretty predictable. There's a lot of other things happening that make it as the whole not. There are always things you can do with texture that kind of cloud the more standard rhythm stuff. I mean, you're going to recycle. You're going to recycle some things. They're actually are only so many permutations. <laughs> well, one of the things that comes in there that does a great job of, of throwing a haze on top of everything is the um, in the rhythm section as we're going one, two, three, four. On that one, a bass comes in and kind of rings out a longer note underneath everything else. And this effect adds a little bit of swell because it doesn't get attacked the same way. It doesn't decay the same way every single time. But it's enough in there as it's either on every one or on alternating ones that it adds a little bit of extra movement and something that was seemingly going directly forward. So every once in a while, we're shifting a little left. We're shifting a little right. Our path isn't ex- as straight as it seems to be. There's another moment in what I was going to kind of call the part B where this warmer tone enters that sort of echoes in this edited fashion. Like it, it has it has a decay where when it's going away, you kind of get it again and again and again, but it's, you know, as if it was actually done in in audio software rather yeah. than it actually played it again, you know, for another two times. And uh, we actually had something like that very recently. I feel like it was only in the last couple of episodes, but that, that kind of spiced up the beat a little bit. This really is trip-hop to me. This is what I see as trip-hop within my sense or knowledge of that genre. And I, I did think it was very easy to lose myself in. You don't really need to attach it to anything, attach it to an environment. You can just kind of lose this in its own, lose yourself in it on its own musical terms. One of the things was also really cool about that Part B is that as it calms itself a bit, the percussion and the synth work do get a little more playful. And then we get Beyond that, this kind of incredible phasing effect, where if you're listening to headphones, it's almost like the song is rotating around your head, Mm. which is a really cool feeling. That's sort of, I don't want to call them A or B sections. This feels just like phases of what we're going to go through, only because of the way everything is getting mixed. We're not getting different layers after a while. By the time we hit around the the 320-ish mark, Mm -hmm. we're in what I want to call phase three, and there's nothing quite new going on but there's the beat has actually yeah, yeah like on this, everything something that's a little bit of more of a rep, rapid pace here this like one e and a two e a three four one e and a two e a three four i think it was something like that i could have the last beat off but that's sort of what i'm remembering here it's it's close i can hear it but i can't explain it but that sort of percussion change or rhythmic change that was showing up was previewed ever so slightly less than 30 seconds prior where we started getting a little bit of a scattered short 
computerized noises, like kind of like tried and true computer, not even a synthesizer or, or anything like that. It felt like beeps and boops and dweeps and like does and things like that showing up, <laughs> like those random you noises. You heard it here, folks. Like the DOS noises. And those DOS noises even persist and get a little bit more intense as the intensity of the rhythm section starts stepping up. So it's not like we're getting a new layer. We're just getting complexities in a layer that we didn't quite see 30 seconds prior. They're like big timestamps that you can talk about generally, but it also is one of those things where it's it's where you want... You actually have a smorgasbord here. It's what part of this track do you want to talk about more? It's It actually is more left up to your choice. Like I noticed that the part that uh, Matt was talking about, and as I am kind of piecing it back together here, is actually the same part as the rhythm part I'm talking about. It's just he noticed the phasing, I noticed the rhythm. And even though it's a good thing he noticed the phasing too because that rhythm was a pretty good drop when it occurred, but the rhythm doesn't really change too much after that. It's cool in the initial brunt of it, but then it goes on for a while, and the thing that actually kind of makes it palatable is what Matt was talking about, the fact that it does sort of phase forward and back, and you get that shift in in spotlight. It is kind of a... a 360 or at least a 180 degree kind of thing. I don't think it's really going left and right much, but it's going forward and back. And uh, it's interesting to me that at the same time the track gets livelier, it also is sort of adding another layer of kind of seediness to it. Yeah, there's a sense of darkness to it as it shifts. And it it's funny because the instrumentation isn't really changing that much. It's just the phasing that allows you to get that perception, which I right. think is really cool. Yeah. Which is like... There's a lot of time markers I could talk about this. Around four and a half minutes, you get that that scattering B section, phase two, sort of concrete though, but in your face with uh, a little bit of jaunt in it. Yet by the time you hit the six minute mark, you, you don't really notice it, but everything kind of just drops out. So by six minutes, everything's gone, but very light percussion, all chime work and like a single piano note idea showing up again that we got previously on the album actually they, I, I remember they, no they they stripped it back down to that uh what we theorize is a uh high capoed guitar yeah um, although honestly in that at this particular moment i he- heard something that i didn't hear the last time i heard it it sounded much more like a harp this time than uh-huh. it did the last time so and I then, don't know. and then seven minutes in it was it was at seven minutes that i felt like maybe those field recordings were starting to show up because we're getting plucks we're getting that that guitar work working but i feel like a wet texture is being utilized to work around it to add a little bit of layering on top of that and this was one of the first like real layers i feel like that wasn't previewed 30 seconds prior in just short little bursts. This was something that actually felt wholly new to sort of exit the track. Well, it's kind of interesting, actually, that this artist, at this point to me, is kind of sitting in a really weird middle ground, where I feel he still does have a tendency to loop a lot, as many DJs do. That's how you get a feel for a certain rhythm. I fully respect that. And yet there is this tendency for him to... He's very self-aware, like he knows the subtleties of change that have to occur without these, like, giant moments like we're gonna be dropped now and you're gonna experience that for the next two minutes you know it's not that it's not nearly that simple he has this more small brush-stroked approach to something that is still a mural in many like it still kind of is an at-a-glance kind of piece it i wouldn't i wouldn't call it um full of movements necessarily it's just full of detail little little subtleties and that's how he he keeps his his 
grand movements, which is the piece, rather uh, interesting. So let's go on to track four, Grains, which is a whole nother kind of track. So we have vocals on this track again. Um, but what's interesting here for me is from the moment this track starts, we get strings, but not in a way that we've gotten really before. I think on the podcast even, the, the way that the strings and the vocals are compressed together, you almost can't differentiate them. When, when the vocalist comes in and starts a phrase, it's in the midst of the strings and almost disappears until he makes a hard S or D sound in the word sand, which is really interesting because then that punches out like as if a fist coming out of the sand. Nice. Like it's... actually literally, you know? <laughs> You're getting heated. <laughs> and, well, because it's one of those things that like, I can't decide if I liked or not, but there was something really natural and mystical to how it blended and felt. Well, it's, it's primarily because the vocalists feel like they're matching pitch with the string or they're being mm -hmm. made to match pitch with the string. And since the strings are a little bit longer overall, they start a little bit earlier, even if it's fractionally or end up just a little bit later than the word one or the word water or drop. Mm -hmm. When you're doing that and you're trying to match the voice, uh, it's easy to lose words. First time I heard this, second, third time I heard this. I wasn't reading lyrics because I honestly did not think there, <laughs> there were, were lyrics. There were lyrics, yeah. Well, no, that, that's the first thing I was going to say is that there's really more of an instrumental feel to this track, uh, despite that there is this long list of, of um, generally the same phrase, but it kind of gets rephrased as it goes. One sand, one drop of water. Water, sand, one sand, one drop of water. Water, sand, one sand, one sand, one sand, and different degrees of iterations, I suppose. And yet, none of this really came across. And yeah, you look back on it, and of course, okay, now I hear the sand perfectly, but I just heard, I just heard vocalizations, I heard utterances, I took this track to be more of an instrumental. But the other reason why it's so cool is, first of all, the blending that you, that you already described very well between the strings and the vocals, but also between the two vocals themselves. One is male, one is female, and they seem to be going in more of a round sensation, where one starts mm -hmm. the phrase, and by the time, uh, you know, she's ending the phrase, he's beginning again. And that just, that constant round never really gives you the sense of the full sentence unless you're actually keyed in on it. And what's interesting about that round, just to stay with the vocals for a bit, is that they, they blend together also very much in the beginning, but towards the end of the song, you hear the distinct voices, almost like they're off kilter. But also what's really interesting for me is that the track feels very druidic. It feels haunting, but not even in a scary way. It feels like you're in a spiritual place that's just very much encompassing you and everything around you. I got a reason for that, and that reason actually is because of the way in which I heard this track as an instrumental, and that is the fact that the male vocalist, to me, didn't even have the resonance of a male person mm -hmm. at first. He actually sounded or has been made to sound like he had the resonance of a didgeridoo or yeah. something like that. So it sounded kind of tribal, and the female vocalist, I, I couldn't even pinpoint what instrument she was sounding like. It was something along the lines of, you know, more a more like Middle Eastern or Asian-oriented string instrument, or maybe even uh, a woodwind in that department. That's what I was hearing, and that's why this whole thing was an instrumental to me. I'm actually really pissed, because you just stole, stole my two favorite parts. I knew I did. Right here. You should have seen the hand gestures, listen. 
messengers. Oh, um, oh, the hand gestures, but the it, anger. <laughs> there was some other elements though that I think actually explain the way I saw it. And you know what? That that Middle Eastern kind of a feel. I saw that around like the minute forty-five mark till about two and a half minutes when we're dealing with just a single note pulse that does a a mild rebuild. Like it doesn't go full force. So when the vocals step in, they seem a little bit more secular to everything else because they're not as well blended as get, what they originally were. You get different degrees of it, but I heard it as of the first time he sang. I was just screaming to myself, Uncanny Valley. Well, also, after that two and a half minute mark, when it starts to do this build, it gives this now dru- this druidic track, as I described it before, the sense of wandering, like almost wan- a wandering group of druids. These people nomadically moving from place to place, singing as they go, almost a more serious version of... What was it um, in in Monty Python, the wandering druids who had hit themselves in the head with the book? Yes, like exactly like that. But I'm and sa- with all of their stoicism too. But I'm saying the same kind of stoicism, but obviously less comical because there is a sense <laughs> of ancients ancientness to this. Like it just does feel old world. Well, in that section, I was uh, particularly impressed with the the dub oriented beat work that was going on contrasting with a singular string line that kept showing up and kept bursting through because there's a lot of strings in this like minute between two and a half and three and a half minutes that was very dense it was blending a lot washing out a lot so when you got more singular drawn out notes that were a lot more clear cut it did a lot to really just kind of break apart the lower register as as deep as it was it 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 pushed it even further back. I felt that kind of distance time-wise occurring. Two thirty-three is when I heard that. Actually, that's when it starts. That's and when it goes, the, yeah. the beat kicks up, and the beat itself sounds kind of garbled. It sounds like it's just a mess, sort of. And almost once this, this is a track that like wants to be an industrial track, but is kept wholly from it. Yeah, that industrial uh, percussion. It was mildly percussive, but it felt like. Almost gear work or something like that. Maybe just the clanging of metal. That yeah. was that was in the very beginning. Doesn't really show up until after that druidic section, right. where the metal touches are back and there's weird echoing effects. So they may have even gone further away. It's almost like it's almost like rusting the way everything seems to decay on top of it. If, yeah. if we're gonna take that echo, and then 350, we're not done. The ocean shows up. That section uh, the, where you get the, the, the windy mist. <laughs> it's it slowly evolves from just the ocean hitting and receding and hitting and receding to actually feeling like it becomes digital. I I well see I I it felt it felt I never natural. Felt like it was I, digital. It felt for uh, me. It felt all, all natural. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with Steve on that. I never really felt it being digital. But um, I know that there are definitely digital effects in there. I, I'll, t- I, I'll take you one further, though, with the um, uh, the rusting, even though rusting is a component of the same. Entropy in the broad. Mm-hmm. It actually felt like that. One, one of these, apart from one grain of sand, another line toward the end, the only development you actually get in terms of lyrics is water in the sea. Water in the sea, one, one grain of sand. It started with one drop of water. Yeah. I don't know what this is supposed to get at, but I do think that the musical conveyance was some sense of deterioration. Grains, either that is supposed to just be broadly in the insignificance of it all, or the fact that it starts with a grain and, and it ends with a grain. I don't know. Truly with this track, I'm happy with the mystery. I think it lends to the track really well. This aura of 
just barely wondering and knowing what ha- was happening. Yeah, I'm like give, I like the mythology of this track is what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm gonna give I'm I'm gonna give a certain thing the pass here, and that's the fact that I did have only one critique for this track, and that's that not much here happens except different phases of intensity. Uh-huh. There's not much in the way of development. Once again, it's kind of the same thing. You only get little layers of, of uh, this and that. The, the micromanaging over what is, in general, one singular product. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, giving it the pass. Uh, it was too <laughs> interesting of a concept. Track five, Second Sun. First so, of all, <laughs> no, go ahead, shall Steve. you? <laughs> no, go ahead, Steve. All right, it's in three. That's yeah. all I was really going to say. Um, and it's very lullaby-oriented. That's you actually, what I was going to say, yeah. Because you had said it. <laughs> I had said it. Well, it all was fair. the fact that the synth is mimicking a xylophone here that really, you know, you I can picture uh, either a parent with a small child playing an actual physical xylophone. So that always lends me to something very lullaby-esque. I mean... It just, it's just breaking apart triads, I think. Just kind yeah. of breaking it in, in, you know, one component of the triad on each beat. Uh, but then when the guitar enters in, the guitar actually had a much better groove to go in hand with this sort of just general three feel. Uh, and then the brassy, woodwindy sounds bulk it up even further. That gives you texture on top of an instri- interesting rhythm on top of a framework. Yeah, and the guitar that comes in here is the first time that I actually hear other genre work within the guitar work, something along the lines of alt-rock or folk-rock, just in the way it's being played in that in that beginning 30 seconds it's there. Once it starts to blend with the rest of the instrumentation, I don't hear that as much. But I, w- I did get an identifying factor in that brief moment with the guitar. It's a very specific type of guitar from that genre, though. It's, yeah. it's dour. It's moaning. It's not a wail. It's it's not piercing in that way. And it's not really, like, it's trailing tormenting, off. I would say, really. Yeah. Like, okay, it doesn't quite sound like it, but while my guitar gently weeps, kind of personifies that idea of a guitar. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that that idea that it's sobbing softly to itself. And then the horn descent. The horns step in as a a previewing effect to complement this guitar work, to to bring it down a notch, if we can go any further in something that's lullaby but mournful. that it, it hollows out the track, so a minute and a half in, we're focused on piano work or piano sounds and wind exclusively. Like, it's it's almost desolate. It takes uh, almost a solid half a minute of just being in this empty place before bass drum work comes back in and winds outward and we actually full-fledged start getting those horns. The around two a minute, two minute five seconds is a sort of brassy distortion that kind of, it, it's the brass that had sounded distant before earlier in the track uh, that now has suddenly kicked up the volume. It's gone from being very background to being very forefront and the strings, oh, when they really get going here, that's the part that really drew me in in terms of composition because uh, you put it well, John, that they were sort of answering every phrase, that they were the response to everything that the brass puts forward very strongly, then the strings are kind of following up on it. And so it's, it's a, uh, I know we always say call and response here, but this is something just a little more clever, uh, considering the, the, the blending between the two, the two sections of, of the orchestra family, and that's somehow intertwined with a uh, electronica album. I don't know how this is working so well, but it actually is very much, but but like on the line between something that is full fledged orchestral and the electronica. I I actually would be I would mistake it on. I would never have 
called this down, down tempo, I'll tell you that. Well, there is one little bit that shows up at the end that, well, it doesn't show up because it emerges. And this is, this is the only way I can explain it. It emerges. The strings become the solo instrumentation of the outro. All they're doing is their phrase work, but to completion. And so much of what they're doing is related to all the other instrumentation that was done in this piece. So three minutes onward, we're getting just what the strings have to say about everything else. And this em- this emergence, this sort of like birth outward of what the strings were doing. Well, the big thing is that after three minutes, the, the three count, right, that you've been hearing ever since the very beginning, that has finally cut out. You yeah. don't, obviously, it's still in the same type of signature, but you don't have that, that one, two, three pulse that we had heard as being either a keyboard or a xylophone. You don't have that anymore, so now it kind of just feels disembodied. It's unattached, and the strings just kind of go off on their own thing. They're, they're by themselves. They're, they are, they're singing, as strings do. And that, that's when this became full-blown cinematic, if yep. it had not already been. And honestly, it, it, this is huge, huge leaps forward in this album for me because you yeah. could build a motherfucking score out of this. <laughs> this yeah. was uh, really reminded me of a couple of key things. Uh, chief among them, uh, The Fountain, the film The Fountain by Clint Mansell, uh, which was actually performed by the Kronos Quartet, which I had the privilege of interviewing on Classical Light back in March 2016. And that is an amazing score. And I honestly, this is in the same ballpark. That At least that tone of film is what yeah. I see this stuff catering to. But I don't ever lose the three count. Like, it was so ingrained to me for the first three minutes. Oh, yeah, it's subconscious at that point. You yes. feel it. And, of course, you feel it within the strings and their performative style. It's just you don't have the per- – you don't need percussion at that point. So it was it was amazing position to be able to still do a pulse to this without a pulse. And I could see the strings working as, as a secular piece, as a secular, like, introduction or exit from, from so many other things. But it, it still felt so married to that electronica feel that – it felt amazingly natural to go from electricity to acoustic in such a way. It became one of my favorite pieces on the album. Which we don't often experience yeah. in, uh, as, as non-clunky of a fashion. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to track six, Surface. This features Nicole McGillis, um, who is a female vocalist. Um, this this is the first track on the album where I'm start, I'm a little bit disappointed, and let me let me explain why. I'm sure John and Steve will have plenty to jump in on. Uh, on the broad, this track is the most conforming to a pop structure than any other track on the album. The uh, the intro, especially to the song, feels very much like a synthy Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, insert female pop vocalist here. Now that's not to say. Again, I, I think fairly highly, at least, of those two names within the pop sphere anyway. I will say that there does seem to be more intricacy within what comes here, but it doesn't seem to diverge in the way previous tracks do. Well, see, that connects with something I said a little bit earlier on this album, and mm-hmm. how this, and how they, he feels kind of middle ground so far in his composition style, and right. how he's not going completely you know, minimalist, he's not going completely all out, let's dance electronica, but he's not going all acoustic, he's not going all, right. you know, digital digital it's this weird kind of general middle ground that leaves unfortunately leaves room for being just on the other side of a very fine line um in this case i heard things that actually are very similar at first glance to some of the previous tracks that we talked very highly about right kind of just the thump in this wet reverby environment and yet you notice that when i leave it at that 
doesn't sound very unique. Right. We encounter a lot of music like that. Yeah. And yet, it's still intertwined with his style, but once you get the main feature here, which is our vocalist, then uh, it really all becomes about about her. It isn't bad, it's just that the second you have that very confined spotlight where it's like a lock has been put on it, you can't move it anymore, it feels extremely rigid, it doesn't leave room for the music to really expand, and indeed it doesn't, it just follows the vocalist. Yeah, I mean, it's not unnatural for that to happen. A lot of other DJs who work with well-known vocalists do that. I mean, think of one of the most popular songs that actually was released onto the album of a DJ um, when Mark Ronson released Uptown Funk with Bruno Mars, right. like, it's a great song. It's really catchy. Like, as far as catchy pop songs, it's probably one of my favorites. But that said, the song is mostly designed to conform around Bruno Mars and his performative nature, and which works for that song. I think just that whole album was designed that way for the most part, whereas here, this album was not. And so I think that's where I kind of lose it a little bit, is that we're getting what's not foreign for pop music, but what's a little foreign for this album. One can say it's just simply polite for a DJ to do that when they're working with any vocalist, then it's like, all right, I'll take a step back. It's not all about me today, it's about the vocalist, right? It's just that the way that that kind of clashes, and I, again, I say that very loosely, clashes on an album where you've been given the DJ as the sort of primary focus, yeah. then that sudden shift is more like, I don't really see... I, I'm not going to get the same context for the vocalist's personality as yeah. I would on her album. And thus, you, you leave me in a kind of a weird place. I have to take this track in a kind of isolated single fashion, and I'm just not there. Well, there are certain elements that still marry it to the overall soundscape that we've gotten in the sure. album. The, the beat work is still within that level yeah. of unobtrusive, merely keeping your, your heart pulse, like not even pounding in your ears, but enough to to let you feel that blood flowing through you. It, it still has other elements, like the, the, the mechanical texture shows up once in a while to be uh, an accompanying, like, on top of something but or see, around something. You have these predictable kind of, you know, bass drops, yank it out, put it in, take it out. That's like all you really have here because that's the nature of a pop track. Whenever you have uh, her singing in a certain section where she needs to be the spotlight, then of course it is preordained that the that the instrumentation will be a little bit more background, but then the track needs to step it up and so it will all come in at once. It all happens kind of on a dime and not in the very slow, dramatic didn't quite even pinpoint, you know where it was and when it happened uh, illusion that we really like to experience and that he's so far been promoting. Well, I wouldn't go that far. A lot of the stuff that we're lauding on this album, a lot of his transitional work feeling 10-15 seconds long, I can still in some ways predict that he's going to be doing something different, that he may actually be dropping a bass, that he may be setting up a new level of percussion or something like that. Those parts are still able to be foreseen. You just don't know where he's going to go, and that's the big difference with this track and other tracks. Yeah, but you know how loose it is with me sometimes? It's more like, I have a sense that this track is going to grow, you know, at yeah. a moment, or that it's going to start to die down in a moment. I have those kind of predictions. I don't have predictions like, we're gonna return to the theme right now. No, it's more like we're going to go into a new section. Or if we are going to return to the thing that was the theme, I've kind of forgotten it at this point, and you might as well give it to me again. And I, you know, it's those sort of things. But I, you, you don't forget in this track what the, um, the sections are. Uh, let me just read a little bit of these lyrics. Make me, 
I've been paper thin so I cannot fly. I cannot move without wind without wind. Saw the side of you I never knew, but were we ever good enough? And all we have to do is talk it through, but words are never good enough. Can we get anywhere? Paper thin paperweight. Are we close enough? Close enough? Seek the surface, I can make it up. By not being perfect, I can make it up. I can make it up. But what you wonder, if I'm crystal blue, but you were never clear enough, and every word to you is hard to say, because words are never good enough. And it's mostly repeated from there until we finally get seek the surface. Seek the surface. It's clouded. <laughs> it's... I mean, the, the lyrics, I like her singing voice. It's a beautiful singing voice. I just don't feel like... I don't feel like we're going anywhere with the track. I don't I don't want to harp too hard on it because at the end of the day, I still did enjoy the track. I just felt like, and again, I agree with John. I don't feel like the instrumentation is that divorced from the, the whole album. I just think this track clearly flows differently than the others. I'll yeah. throw in a positive and a negative. The positive is, yes, I do like her singing voice. It's sort of in a weird, um, it almost like, sh- like she's in a falsetto for her own register, mm-hmm. which it really says something. She's she's up there and it, it almost like it, it gets lost in some in some layer that I can't even describe. It's not, it's more than reverb. It's, mm-hmm. it's something else I don't really know. But uh, that's the positive. I think it's a very distinctive voice uh, that has a place in a lot of different areas and it really could have fit here if perhaps and this is where the negative comes in the melody had been a little better yeah. I don't think the melody was it didn't it didn't blow me away and this is where we finally break from I guess the what has been the discussion of the last two days really uh, where it was all about melody constantly or at least that was my MO was always melody when you talk about Somersault by Beach Fossils or, or uh, Peasant by Richard Dawson both of those pieces they, they both of those albums they felt like they were just defined by their melodic structure, which wasn't to impugn everything else that was going on, but it's like the melody carried the weight and they, I was keyed in on them at all times. Here you have actually the exact opposite problem. The, overall, the composition here is the highest point. It, 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 like, it's the layering. It's all of the detail. It's the instrumentation. That's where this, he's, he's shining. The melodicism of it is okay, but it's like, it, it's just removed from really sticking in my head. I find it beautiful, but I'm not moved deep down to my core, you know? I feel like if I am being moved, it's more by her her vocals than it is by the melody itself. And and that's a little bit of a problem here, because you can feel the sort of rote repetition in certain things. Even just how the melody is written is a lot of times where it just repeats the same note over and over again. And then I hear her voice, which should be distinctive, starting to actually become tiring in certain instances toward the tail end of the song. That was disappointing. Actually, that kind of that leads me to a, uh, a midpoint discussion about the album and how I've been taking it so far. Is that I'm not really getting emotionally attached to much of this. I am enjoying the emotive nature of the album. I feel like it's trying to say something to me. I feel like it actually is explaining something to me. But I don't feel sad or happy or maybe a little bit angry here and there. It feels more relax which isn't an emotional feeling it's a physical feeling mm-hmm. and this projection that's going on right here is keeping me at a little bit of an arm's length which in in my case is actually really good i don't want to really dive too deep into that kind of morose feeling that drew me here 
I want to just be able to experience what I'm feeling in this context. Which is actually something where it does it does share quite a bit in common with the album we did yesterday, and that was the fact that, yeah, it, it has a plasticity to it. I think it, it's whatever you bring to the table in, in a given moment is probably what you're going to be feeling here. It may, it may amplify the emotion, um, bring out a form of catharsis, as I hinted very early yeah, in this episode. Yeah, you can let Perhaps me build up to that. Perhaps too early. Yeah. Track seven. Bambro Koyo Ganda. Featuring Inov Ganawa. Ganawa. Um, that's what I said. I said Ganawa. I know. Oh, you just wanted to repeat it. <laughs> um, th- this is a group um, featured in this track, and they do all the vocal work. Uh, they're actually a sextet of Moroccan musicians who uh, live in New York currently. I, don't, I guess they've, they were in Morocco at one point, and now they're in New York. Um, and uh, there actually is... It's quite a fascinating article on NPR on this particular uh, group and how they kind of went hand-in-hand hand with this uh, genre. It was mostly just uh, the the producer Bonobo kind of getting into Ganawa and many of the way many other artists have gotten into Ganawa. And Ganawa itself is actually, um, this is straight from the article right here, it is among Morocco's richest and oldest continuous traditions dating back to pre-Islam, which is a long time ago. That's more than 1,500 years ago. So uh, I am actually shocked that there actually is musical tradition that stems from that since we're always taught that uh, Western classical music tradition only goes back a thousand years and that that's the oldest. So I need to read up on this because this was not there in my Western music heritage. Oh, right. I'm answering my own question. Western music heritage. There, course. there you go. Ba-boom. Uh, anyway, it continues. The extended song chants speak of spiritual and cultural ceremony, but also of a man's life in the corporeal world. They're usually performed by groups of chorus singers and dancers, often accompanying themselves on metallic castanets called uh Krakeb, and by a Malam, which is a master Gnawa musician, leading the song's main vocals while playing the Sintir, a three-string lute. All of this stuff is very, very interesting, and I do think think all of us should probably just maybe peek into this style a little further. And by the way, some of the artists that I uh, previewed who have actually dipped into the style before, huge mess of, of jazz musicians, jazz mm-hmm. paramount, uh, but also Jimi Hendrix and Robert Plant. Unsurprising to me, considering those two. Considering those two. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this this song starts very low-key, probably more low-key than any of the previous tracks, but because the vocals come in pretty early, um, there's a tribal nature. Um, the the Also, the interesting thing with these vocals, as opposed to other vocals and featured artists, is these vocals are very much at the forefront, and there isn't a lot of blending. They pretty much just stand out while they're there in the beginning and end of the song. They are not throughout. And I thought that was a curious choice, just considering in previous tracks, for the most part, when the vocals were there, they would blend at moments, if not the entire time. Well, that's because the vocals themselves are very rhythmic and very rigid in that style. Uh, even the, the clapping that's going on to emphasize uh, certain syllables is, uh, at its core, just a pure rhythm. So we're getting the same thing over and over again. It's not expanding upon it. But everything else that is going on is very, very blended. The club pulse that we're introduced with in the very beginning, the, I, I want to say, knuckles that are being cracked to add little flourishes on top of it, uh, touching at the end of phrases to to add a little bit of context, I get, or, or maybe just a, a little bit of a point so that you know when the beat's restarting. It's a nice little bit that shows, okay, we're going to go back to one, two, three, four, because otherwise we kind of don't know where we're going with a lot of this stuff. It, it's 
it's nebulous this background work this the supporting yeah. work for the vocals the vocals definitely do stand out uh, a chief amongst everything else going on um, they don't stay the whole time and but then when we get the instrument once we get to the, I think they're around for about a minute and a half or so. Yeah, we, one minute 40, I think, is the part you're talking about. And Yeah, and then we get a pseudo bass drop. I mean, it is essentially like the, the song kicks out, the vocals go away, and then we get a heavier bass and the instrumentation kicks in. It is. And it, it is a bit of a punch. And I don't know, it, it, I wouldn't say it feels disconnected, but it is a curious choice. Considering all the other choices he's made thus far, it does make me wonder. One of the reasons I think it sounds odd to our ears, although I actually didn't d disagree with it musically, I thought this this made a lot of sense, but it does sound odd because it it's very low-key. They don't, like, explode into vastness and, and reverb and all the yeah. other things you'd expect in a big ba bass drop. Instead, they just sort of cut it all away and they leave us with this acoustically isolating club scene where people feel close even if they're ten feet away. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of uh, sensation here, and and the bass actually feels like it's maxing out the capabilities of the of the drivers themselves. You know, the the cones are just they're they're exploding out of the the frame, and I I find that very weird considering that it's very closed in, and yet it's also very over overpowering, and that's a. Uh, that's it. That is a very strange uh, direction to go from, you know, uh, acoustic tribal almost sounded like you actually went on a trip and you took your microphone around town to hear the, the traditional music being played on street corners, right? And that it's an odd shift, and yet I felt like I was really satisfied to see that sense of vastness and openness suddenly turn completely inward and everything flip uh, almost on the dime, like 180. Every, every component of the music does a 180. But the vocals come in and they feel so natural when they do so. They they don't feel like they're oddball on top of this. New no, layer they they effect. don't, yeah. and that's what I think was. It, it took some finesse to achieve that and not make it sound like, hey, I have a new song attached to an old one. But then certain elements do come in closer to the three minute three twenty mark, right before the strings show up and present a major theme. Yeah, we get like oddball. I want to say space invader noises, like. <laughs> Like, literally, it sounds like it's being drawn from that old arcade game. You do. I don't know if those were the sounds making the rhythm that I was hearing, but I did get a really cool sense. Like, they, they ramped up the syncopation at this moment. Actually, the syncopation throughout the whole entire track is pretty good. Gets a little bit loopy after a while. Um, you've had that in small uh, doses earlier, but here we get a kind of cool rhythm that I was that I was really enjoying. This kind of one ant to eat, for e and a one ant to eat. For e and o, that kind of thing, and it, that I don't know, something kind of drew me to that in with respect to what we had just come from. But and here's the big but for me: this track is the first time I really wanted an outro to end up different. Here, around the 320 mark, the strings take their their center stage, and they start building. <laughs> they take up. over. <laughs> yeah, they start building in the elements that we got previously in very singular fashions one at a time pause for a moment just to feel that effect with the strings it's that next piece a really long build a over kind of clint, clint mansell thing again honestly that sort of gorgeous elegy that interestingly popped up in this track but the, for a minute or so the strings were the soloist i would have enjoyed probably just the vocals coming back in to really ring us out because that is a, a unifying thread throughout but 
once everything starts coming in, this is one point where the layers just got to be a little bit too much. It was it was it was wearing on me just because the overall length I wanted a culmination to come a little bit quicker. Well, we do return though. We do have one more return of of sort of what I'd call B and A at this point. Yeah, a kind of like you have the pounding, the bass pounding of B, but you also had the vocals uh, That's sounding as prominent about. as they did back in A. Uh, all right, so it's it's that return that you didn't really it like was, it following was, the it strings. Was so I don't know if the string has continued um, from that their little interlude, their LG interlude. Well, it this. was it was specifically the way the strings brought everything back together and then kind of stepped back. I kind of I, I guess I would have just liked maybe the strings and vocals. You could throw in clapping, you throw in a little bit more, but it was it was it left me wanting just the strings or just the strings and vocals to be my period. I think that if I had enjoyed one act of juxtaposition, it probably does... uh, The the track is shaping up to be a little bit aimless. It's losing its track at its setting. That was my biggest problem. This one lost me a little. And I think also part of that is I just expected more from the vocal work. I expected this to be another um, grained. And it wasn't, you know. I really wanted them to do something interesting and incorporative with the vocalization, which I liked, and they didn't, you know. The, even when they did come back later, they still felt separate from everything else. I don't feel like they ever really blended in, right. and that was a big disappointment for me. Well, for I mean, I'm going to leave this track on a positive because I can refer all listeners who were, if they were more attracted to the Gnawa portion of this, uh, Inav Gnawa, then there is actually an analog version of there this is. track. It's featured in the article on NPR. Go out and find it. Uh, just search the track Bambro Koyo Ganda Inav Gnawa NPR. It'll probably pop right up. And then you can listen to the analog version when they hit a little Bandcamp play button, which, based on what I previewed, I think I was digging that. Don't know if I that would have fit in the context of the album. That's a whole right. other discussion. We're not having that discussion, but enjoy that over there. Track eight, Kerala. And by the way, Kerala is a province in India. It's in the southernmost tip of India uh, on the western side. I know that because I have a friend whose family was originally from Kerala, and it is known for being predominantly a Catholic part of mostly Hindu India, considering that that's where the missionaries actually set up shop several hundred years ago, and as a result, you actually have a multi-hundred year of Catholic Indian tradition in the province of Kerala. Thank, Thank you, you for that. Thank you, Professor Steve. Yeah. Welcome. Um, so this song, um, where to start? So the problem is here, I'm at a, uh, uh, I was less fond of six and seven. Eight was back on the rise, but still I have some issues with this one. But in the beginning, we get a very chimey sounding guitar uh, in the similar vein of the earlier capoed guitar we heard, but this one's a little more starkly guitar sounding, I think, than that earlier one. Yeah. Recognizable, at least at this point. And once we get a little bit of that guitar, we get the percussion in that kind of begins to build softly from there. Well, it's the the uke sounding guitar, the mandolin sounding guitar work is, I want to say, the only like through line on this that never leaves. And also yeah. the pervading rhythm of just that over and over again. I don't know. Yeah. That. <laughs> it's there throughout, and I think that might be my only critique going into this track. I'm extremely positive on it. The beat shift that shows up very early on takes the count of the guitar and takes it off to, to be, I think, it, Stevie, it was on the 3-uh. 
instead of on the three or on the end or any of the other normal pulses, it gets a little bit of a sidestep on everything. And I, that right there got me right back into it as much as I may have been a little bit tired at the end of Bambro. So I'm already seeing a phase that I thoroughly enjoyed. At about a minute in, we get a phase shift as the strings kind of whine outward again. And this is something that has shown up before. It was the horns doing it earlier, the, the synth horns doing it earlier mm-hmm. in this album. Here, this, this whine outward was another one of those moments of a little bit of chaos, a little bit of discourse that shows up in an otherwise pleasant setting. So that by a minute and a half in when the vocalization, this is just... Yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, pure. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it's not natural. It, it's matching the whine of these synth strings or strings. Oh. It's matching that, that off-putting nature. And I love it. I really enjoy this texture. It's a very, very gray area of, of emotion or emoting that I just enjoy. That's one area where I'm going to be on completely the other side. That one got annoying. That, that, yeah, 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 didn't see any real purpose to it. I, I, uh, I don't know if it was really fitting the, but I can't even really say that there's a major feel to this track, you know? I, I know that it wants to be more energetic, I suppose, with those yeah, yeah, yeah's part. But later on, you know, that they usually tend to accompany a little lift in the music, which is interesting because there's nothing really, there's, there's nothing attractive about that particular soundbite to me. All things considered, I thought this track was a little bit dull. I didn't really see anything. Even though it was stepping up, it was not able to tow me along. I was just kind of watching it from a distance. I was in pretty much the same place as Steve, though I felt that it was. it, it took us back to an earlier feeling of brightness uh, on the more relaxed earlier side, and there was a playfulness to the track as a whole. I did feel the repetitiveness of it and did tire of it quickly. I just think that we're missing some of the intricacies that have made this album so great in this track. And I think that's why 6, 7, and 8, for different reasons, kind of lack for me. I, I'm not 100% there. I'm, I'm actually below 50% there. Like There was a lot of building going on here uh, that by the two-minute mark, two-twenty mark. I mean, we're getting a really fulfilled integration of all the the different soundscapes. One element that was present earlier that's not showing up here, I don't mean a specific element, I mean a specific style choice, is that we're not getting a lot of those odd phasing effects where a line will go out of sync and change pitch and might change its overall caliber of what it's presenting to us. That is something that kept the repetitive earlier tracks from not feeling repetitive. Mm. And that is definitely not going on with this piece. I can't disagree with that. I just suppose it didn't really do as much for me. It wasn't as... There was something about the overall rhythm of this piece that did not really reach... In fact, I have one thing. Only one thing for you, and it's the tail end. The only oddball, and I guess I am want to notice the oddballs in this album for the most part. They're the things that are actually provoking me. The only oddball was a sort of strange dissonant bass uh, bass drum thump toward the end of the track, just before the final synth roll that kind of exits the track. In a, well, actually, that's a whole other thing, but just that odd dissonance. It, it felt like it was 
not the court it should have been on. And I, I couldn't explain that. The Why of all times he chose to get a little tonally colorful in that one moment I, of this track. But I really enjoyed that moment. It was I a great just... moment, but but we're, we're in the last stretch of it, and it was like, all right, oh, hey, okay, hey, oh, it's over. All right, you guys are definitely just... not feeling this as much as I right. am. Well, right. uh, let me just say that last, um, those last two cents about the final synth roll then, because that was weird in that it was, he didn't want it to end for like a, a minute. He was, he was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a... And, and it's gonna fade. It's gonna. It's gonna fade. No, it's gonna be another little fade. And it was. It was like a call and response within its own already, at the tail end of itself kind of register. I. I, I didn't. It didn't make sense. The the structure of it did not make sense. Okay, I'm I'm in agreement. So I'm not gonna restate what you've already stated. I just want to get to Ontario. <laughs> yes, <laughs> track well, nine. Yeah, I, I, Ontario is where I feel like this album is starting to head in, back in the direction of what we were getting in the beginning part of it. This track builds a lot faster than pretty much any of the other tracks on the album. It gets bright, and 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 fills out very quickly. I also found it quite interesting that this track Ontario sounds far more exotic than Kerala. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can't explain yeah, that at all. I, well, I felt like it was like you had this sense of wandering through an ancient city. It takes me back a little bit to the place my brain was at during Grains. Again, a stringed I'm, instrument that I can't play. Something maybe in the sitar family? I don't know. Well, you're getting sitar that's built around a vocalized beat. Like the recorded vocals that are being put in the very beginning of the track feel more rhythmic than anything else that kind of shows up within that first minute or so. Well, let's just rewind a second as I'm kind of recalling the whole overall point of this piece. In an area where I I wasn't able to pinpoint the place names earlier on, of course now I've already cited Kerala and I've cited Ontario, and this is supposed to be about, remember, how places change over time, and maybe he is actually, this is his little statement about how Kerala is getting westernized and Ontario perhaps is, you know, getting Indianized from immigration. You don't know. You don't know. You simply don't know, but I, that um, that seems too. The fact that I noticed a sitar here in Ontario and noticed pr- kind of nothing particularly distinctive about Kerala. No offense to Canadians. <laughs> I, d- I don't know. I don't know if that's a commentary on it or not. The part that I take is commentary. No lyrics in the track. The part that I take is commentary is that the vocals being human, at least in the very beginning, or being recorded human. Um, adds a layer of the city is the people, they're the heartbeat. Mm. I like the imagery associated with that aspect. So that when we start getting what I want to say are space notes, like the space notes, like the sort of thing that was used in so much of science fiction for so long, Okay, lasers and whatnot, um, it, felt, it felt sort of like a, I want to see a, a, a forced progression towards the future it felt like they were added on on purpose so um, a minute in it 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 pivots strongly to hip-hop a rhythm section that does complement what just happened but also leads into a a string oriented section that is just complementing the sitar the the combination of these things 
are extremely interesting to me. I want to know how he got Ontario from all of this. Um, <laughs> how he got all this from Ontario, I don't know. But it's. I did notice that it was as out of the blue for me, too, the second he started bringing back the strings, although I can't deny what works. That's my favorite yeah. part of the album. Thus, the second he shifted on a dime to that, I was like, great, great, more. Give me more. Um, at the same time, this was also more brass-driven, so it's taken kind of two different sections of this album, both of which have really been my favorites, infusing them together. Uh, this is why I was so eager to get to Ontario. Not so much for the earlier portion of the track, but for this later portion. Uh, there's even a point where it starts getting, well, it brings back the Mellotron, actually, after the strings finally di dive down. And then there are moments where it gets jazzy, like yeah. full-fledged jazzy around like 3 minutes and 25 seconds. You actually have exactly that timestamp, come to think of it, 325. There's a chord, uh, uh, just a, little, a slight little pivot in, in the progression of this keyboard that sounded like something out of Mr. Rogers. And that is a, that is a compliment, believe it. <laughs> I... I I always thought it was interesting that he chose such a uh, kind of a light jazz, which all is all his music, by the way. Yeah. All Mr. He, Rogers. He, made, he wrote it. He wrote he composed all of it, it. Played it. Yep. He was a music composition major, I yep. believe, back in college before he went into that. And I don't know, just these warm, jazzy chords that I actually don't hear a lot since like the '80s, and yet I heard it here for two seconds. <laughs> it, I mean, there was a warmth to the tail end of the track. Uh, as a whole and I think from that moment when it goes into the outro the track kind of wraps up on itself pretty well you know we we don't really get a return to the beginning it kind of just uh, wraps up on those notes and tones that we were getting in the tail end yeah the pulse is one of the few things that I think doesn't change on yeah. this piece I mean we get revisited layers but the layers themselves always have a sidestep and that's kind of like par for the course for this album but the actual like repetition of it feels a lot more fluid here, so that while we'll get we'll, we'll dwell in a minute with this or we'll dwell in a minute with that, it, he seems to like the minute marks for a lot of his things. Mm -hmm. It matches up with a lot of his BPM work. So minute o two or minute thirteen will yeah. be a section's length, but it it works very well with the actual pacing that he's doing with a lot of this stuff. But it doesn't really return to those ideas too dramatically. You'll get the same sounds. This is a little bit different because sounds, but not the actual pulse of a piece. And that, this made Ontario, I wasn't bad on Bambro. I was definitely a lot more loving of Kerala. And for me, Ontario was like a culmination of 789 as opposed to a drawback into the album for me. Like, this was this was a nice little period on that sectional three pieces that showed up right there. No, Ontario was definitely a reminder of, hey, remember the stuff that you love? <laughs> yeah, I'm with Steve on that. All right, let's move on to track 10, No Reason, featuring Nick Murphy. Um, this song from pretty much the get is very much like a pop dance, more accurately a pop techno track ballad specifically the vocalist here has you know think uh coldplay think imagine dragons that ethereal long dramatic male vocalist a little bit of a whine on the tips but more or less this kind of uh broadly projected voice it's like his well, for, he's actually in two different registers because yeah. there are moments where he's his his tenor, very creamy, very yeah. very nice tenor. But when he's in his falsetto, it's like his falsetto is in his falsetto. That's <laughs> just interesting, and I I don't know, I because I'm not I, I'm not in like the zone to be commenting on on 
on vocalists, I yeah. guess, in this album, which is why and this, th- has... th- this shift for me even to ha- start that discussion feels kind of weird. It's just an observation. Well, and also this, like the last track we discussed with vocals, um, not not Bambro, but before that, it it, it be- the vocals become the focus again, and this is where I just I take some issue with him having future vocalists. And I, I don't think that there's no room for this. I think that the marriage of it is interesting. It's just not particularly unique. Because again, the vocals step to the front and the rhythm and the synth stay pretty stagnant throughout the track it, in this If one. only they had been just a little more incorporated, I think this choice to bring in featured vo- vocalists would have worked. It's but why it's, Grains I get so passionate about, even though I don't necessarily love that track, is because I feel at least it's true to the integration and instrumentation, whereas tracks like this, I just feel like I'm getting a little bored. And I don't believe that they're poorly produced tracks either. Exactly. I think it, it's all a relative thing. Uh-huh. It's all in terms of, you know, if he had just incorporated the instrumentation into these tracks a little bit more, then I don't think we would have noticed much disparity. I agree. I'm, I'm right there with you, Steve. Yeah, it was actually... After the first chorus shows up, a lot of the verses remain the same. That was my yeah. big issue. The The chorus actually, there's a pre-chorus chorus format going on here where the pre-chorus does bring it down, which is what you expect, and the chorus builds it back up and then levels out into the verse. The leveling out of the later chorus into the verse, it's like almost nothing musically, nothing instrumentation-wise is actually changing. One yeah. thing that doesn't change is the the gallop that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. This one and a two and a three and a four. And then uh, this high sort of pitter-pattering synth, um, kind of these bursts of 16th notes. Only mm-hmm. like you get that for intermittent. It doesn't even feel like the, six to- the set of 16th notes gets dropped on the beat. They come intermittently in the early portion of the track. And that actually was one of my favorite parts. I almost wish that had kind of been reformulated in some way. I, I, eh, I don't know, something I liked. Whereas for me, I think my favorite part of the track is when we get to the bridge, the vocals and the instrumentation become a little more ethereal, and also we get a pause that's not a bass drop, though it could have been instead. It's more of a phase-in of instrumentation, and so the vocals feel a little more blended there. See, you notice when you when, when we keep saying something's ethereal, you notice how the word loses its meaning yeah. after a while. <laughs> well, and but that's, my, I think, my biggest issue is that the, the vocals here are so much harder to describe than that yeah. because that's really what they're doing. And it, it does get to feel a little cliche. I did like, though, that in a place where they could have very easily had a bass drop, like I said, they phase instead and swap the instruments around a little. Yeah, it was right. And it makes for a cool effect towards the end, but still I'm I just was making not a joke. really feeling it. I was making a joke like, and here's the bass drop, and I went, oh, oops. Yeah. Because it was like, oh no, they just did a shift that, yeah, has all the hallmarks of a bass drop. Even feels like one without dropping the bass. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was when we cut everything out, right? Yeah. yeah. Three minutes, 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... It was funny here. He fades into the distance, and it sounds like he's shouting at us from the end of a tunnel. And yet, when the next stanza come back in, you hear two of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he's both are present. He's both yeah, near yeah. and he's... far, and how is that possible? Right. Maybe that's the commentary on the sense of place and how it's evolving. Uh, maybe, maybe there's just no reason. <gasps> yeah. Maybe, I did the bad uh, pun. I did the maybe bad pun. Maybe it's called yeah. copy and paste in your program. <laughs> I mean, so I think where this this song really struggles for me, because again, I didn't hate it, is that it uh, it's it overstays its welcome a little bit. Because after we have that movement and it changes like that, and then we've got the harmonizing with himself, which I, I'm always fond of, 
it, it stays that way until the track ends. There's really no change. There's, you know, it f- continues to repeat. The percussion, of course, as it has been, is fairly unchanging. What little rhythm percussion there is. And then that's it. And then we're done. And I think, for me, the song just ends on kind of like, it just kind of ends. There's, I, I, there's no investment at that point for me. And so I, I just kind of checked out and I'm ready to move on to track 11 at that point. I like the rhythm. One, and two, eat, and, uh. Yeah. I like that. I do too, but the problem is when it's just Maybe, maybe that, that was your bass drop interlude. I don't know. But, but when it's, I just have rhythms in, a, in, a, in a, on a whiteboard, and I don't have them connected. I just like them. <laughs> but, but even still, like I said, the rhythm stays that way, and it, usually it's the other instrumentation that fills it out, or the vocalization that fills it out, and that doesn't really happen here. All right, let's go on to track 11, Seventh Sevens. Track 11, Seventh Sevens. Uh, my favorite that, title. Isn't that fun? My it is a little bit fun. Favorite title um, on the album. Here we get <laughs> the most bare bones percussion work here in the beginning. But it's, it's, it's like even more so than the last time we heard it. Like yeah, that. because now you don't have like the wood thing on. Yeah, the cu- it really is just it's, it's pussycats. Pussycats. It. But it that, sounds, that's the technical term for that rhythmic sound. Of course, yeah. To all who want to know, it just sounds like water dropping. Like actually. Re- Recorded water dropping mm-hmm. with a little bit of tap work on top like on of a, it. Like if there's like a, an empty pot under the faucet and it's dripping on it. Yeah, and it's a steady four count that's built around the bass work. It's 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 a thump thump thump. But but there's elements of that water drop kind of falling into the bass itself, where it starts to hit a little bit on the E, on the and, on the uh, with extra little bits of beat work thrown in between that I love the, this, this the second ca- and fourth semiquavers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just extra little bits of chaos being interwoven on top of everything else. Yeah. It's syn- it's syncopation, but it's not in kind of a it's not really in a predictable sense. It's wherever he wants to throw it in. And here we're going back to his previous uh, habit of doing a slower build. And when the synth comes in, it's very low at first, you know, kind of droning along, playing some notes here and there, but it doesn't it's not stepping up and or into the forefront or taking over like it has in the past. It's really interesting. And even there are some electronic tones that come in here too that sound specifically really electronic and less analog we had gotten in previous tracks. I actually even got like a kind of synth organ feel to it. It's not as long and drawn out as what you would expect from a church organ or something like that. Yeah, I think it's, it's the Mellotron. I yeah. think it's yeah. that stuff that we heard earlier in the album. It feels a little bit richer here. And that theme starts building out a a like change in the bass and the actual caliber of it that that does the shifts that I really am enjoying on this album. So we hit a decay point at a minute and a half that goes just straight up like not techno but technology beatless. The the effect of the synth here leans more towards a MIDI sound, and because of the kind of ominousness to the drone, it reminded me of the first Metroid game on the Nintendo, mm. because a lot of the soundscapes in that old game didn't necessarily make the game scary, but it made it ominous. It made it feel even isolating, and it's just really cool to get that sense here, because there has not been a moment up to this point where I felt fairly isolated, and, and it's really cool here. It, and, yeah, it's, it's a very weird sensation of this piece, considering it's not all that busy necessarily, no, but yeah. you're just kind of like, what's over there? What? It's like floating in space a little I? bit, or yeah, like, yeah, pondering almost. And it's it's that extra element of muted machinery that comes in on top mm-hmm. of that 
Samus sound. <laughs> Sounds like a flute. I almost thought there was a flute here in this uh, Metroidian part, like just with these short phrased melodies. It yeah. is a melody, but the phrases are very short. Plus, we've hit a new highlight because I made Steve say Metroidian, and I appreciate that. I think I've brought up the game before because <laughs> it's the only reference point that I have for this kind of sound anyway. I'm sure it's influenced many an artist. That's and then for sure. We get a, a, a drawn note that leads us into our next transition. The transitions mm-hmm. on this track are, are bad. Back up to the caliber that I love on this album. Absolutely. About two minutes, 15 seconds in, which seems to introduce a brand new beat. Like the first time I feel like we actually get a new beat with more of those previously used computer tones mm-hmm. showing up. I, It doesn't feel divorced, but it feels like he actually is doing just straight up new beat work as opposed to building off of something previous. Are you talking about that like bizarre transition moment where yeah. suddenly it was like... Re- <laughs> Okay, this is weird because I'm going to talk about a moment here. This is just the moment in which this transition occurs. And it was actually one of the only things that I felt on this track was, like, surprisingly detailed. Which isn't to say that the track as a whole lacks, like, you know, lacks a sense of thought put in. But because he's working on the broad scale and because he wants to establish the, the atmosphere of this sensation, whatever it may be, then you don't get a lot of... Uh, frequent changes. Like, for instance, the thing that we were talking about uh, in the early portion of this piece, where you get those little bits of right? It's they're they're uneven. They occur over this long stretches of time, and right. you never quite know what's coming. Well, here all of a sudden, there's this bizarre moment of density, like a transition in which it almost felt like a steel drum at first that was getting ready to cue in the next thing but it doesn't lead you right into it instead it leads you to uh, this is all over a series like a like a beat and a half a pop a zinc like like almost felt like a tink or like this this like static meshed in with that tink sound and then there's the beat drop mm-hmm. and that was very bizarre in listen because i had almost lost, lost track of what of where the pulse was when that happened because of the texture sporadicism yeah. in such a sport short span of time. And that that that's bizarre. We just don't hear that a lot. And I thought we like br- we bring goodies, don't we? Yeah, the stu- that kind of stutter to the percussion that leads to that shift and and then uh, pervades it. It just I want to explain it as if like uh, you're sitting in a chair that you lean too far back in. And then momentarily you think you're going to fall out of it, and then you recover. That is like, excellent. That, that's, that is excellent. That's, that's exactly how it made me feel. That is perfect. That, yeah. is, that is exactly it. You're welcome. Because then you are righted, and... Uh, and this track finishes out, you know? It, it, well, it, it doesn't it, just yeah, finish. It's, well, yeah. it's got a little while to go before yeah. then, but it, it's... Uh, see, it I stays guess, in this place, though. It doesn't really... For a minute. Ver- right. And the, then it goes into the next minute of, once again... Uh, the synth horns the brats, pre- the brats, pretending yeah. to be strings. That, I think because that returns to something that we've heard before. It's not familiar, but I it was like returning to home. So I don't consider it a huge change because we're returning to home base almost. And I'll take you one step further. It's as if home was like an exaggerated version of how you remember it. Because, well, presuming you had, you know, a nice happy home and whatnot, it's like, <laughs> it's it's more of a blanket than the br- than the brass has previously served on this album. It felt noble. It felt as if uh, the brass was, yeah, sort of like a warm welcoming for a, for a dignified figure or something like that. You felt a kind of swell of both pride and, and satisfaction all at once. I don't know. It just, it, it consumes you this. And this is not the way he's used this particular instrument section before. 
but it wasn't a king's welcome. Like it wasn't a full fanfare. It no, was a, sort of a dignitary. It, it's it's a welcoming home for somebody who's a king of his own domain, but it's not a kingdom. It's a home. Yeah. Like it's a combination of the two that makes it both grand but quiet. And a, and a great choice, by the way, was at 4 minute and 38 seconds when we drop everything out. The beat is now gone, leaving the noble brass by itself. Yeah. I, I love the build-up to that because it takes about 40 seconds for all the threads to come out mm-hmm. of the section. It's like they were being plucked out individually. Instead of just a decay where right. things fall off, it was a different way to lead us to a nothingness kind so, of a section. In many ways, the consistency of this track is in its choice to inconsistently both add things at first, switch it up on a dime, and then remove things later. It's a... In a lot of ways, Quite it, interesting. In a lot of ways, it best exemplifies like the best parts of what he was doing previously, but he's doing them in subtly different ways. Like we're not getting familiar decays, we're not getting yeah. familiar transitions. He really is very late on the album, throwing his ideas at us like we know, but in uh, off kilter way that I really enjoy, and this became one of my favorite pieces, like in, in general, just from the the cerebral experience of it. It was not my favorite piece, but it is uh, quite curious that that was, you know, my critique that not a lot really happens in the short term in this piece, and it really does. But once you see it for what it is, once you see the forest for the trees, it becomes it becomes one of those tracks where its goal is not necessarily what you may want, but if you are patient with it, it will give you something. Track 12, Figures. That figures. <laughs> <laughs> I R-R. already did the bad pun. You weren't supposed to do one. So in this track, we're going to get more vocalization. It's not a feature artist this time. It's sampled vocals. Um, Extremely the, the, warped vocals. So, so yeah, so the pacing of this track is more of a saunter with the beat here. And when the vocals come in, they sound pretty straightforward for a few seconds. And then on key words, it, it's almost like going up on singing or acting, like when you kind of get overly emotional. But here, it's a, it's like the the technology got emotional and stretched. And it, it, it really is curious because you're spreading out short words like need or no, and they almost lose meaning when that happens, which is a really cool effect. It's like the, the vocalist is drowned in a sea of pitch bends, which she has no control over, which is really says something that here only now at the end of the piece do you have a case where you have lyrics and the composer's hand seems to be finally dominating or Mm -hmm. like attempting to wrestle with at least that in itself is pretty interesting everything just wanes and deteriorates right inside the heart of the theme itself the main melody is just getting undermined I said off air that it was very surreal and it's what I imagine a uh, Salvador Dali painting sounds like like in his some fam- his most famous works the dripping clocks like i imagine this is what it feels like to hear something dripping that shouldn't be and yet the bass is extremely fun i uh-huh. like this contrast it's it's got a lot more movement to it it's not a pulse it's it's almost walking it's not jazz by any stretch of it but it's playing around with the theme, with the the melody, a lot more than it's ever done before. Mm-hmm. So when we hit about a minute forty-five in that intake of breath, and we get that moment of believe it, mm-hmm. where you can clearly hear it for the first yeah. time. We actually just hear the vocal since the very beginning. Believe it, drop beat and keep going. Yeah, like it's 
it's sort of like a hitching moment. Uh, it was one of those moments that I kind of strive to find in albums because of it, it was a powerful wordplay that we just haven't gotten. Like, okay, we heard sands in grain and water and words like that just sticking out to us. But here it was singular and then punctuated that was really impactful for something that, aside from the tracks that were vocally focused, I didn't get words from. Even when there were words, I didn't get words from it. So to hear Believe It and to have that be a message was great. Well, yeah, and I think also for me, this track, like Grains, like we're really using the vocalist as an instrument here, but even beyond, when I feel like every time I've said it before this doesn't measure up to when I'm saying it now because of the way he really then played with the compressing and, he, and the mixing, and here, playing with the vocal lines themselves. Yeah, the vocals start coming in for the next minute or so with little pulses of, like, discord. Mm -hmm. Just just they're off-key. They're, they sound like they're repeating the same exact thing that we've already heard, but they've been screwed around with, and, and it exists a little bit more singularly in that they're coloring, like, pauses in the other more familiar, weird warped vocals yeah. all over something that to me just feels like R&B like uh, the most screwed up like yeah. R&B no pulse. yeah the core vocals feel like they were plucked from an R&B song like it wouldn't surprise me if I found out the vocalist was Beyonce or something of the like like an R&B vocalist with a great range because in the moments we get to focus in on the vocals you hear how beautiful her vocals are it's just we don't get that very much because he kind of teases you and then moves to something else and once again it's the teasing that really works more, yeah. more so than the core melody itself but after a while that becomes really a part of the melody you know you see the pitch bending as kind of the way it should be as the way it's written but that's not even my favorite part of the track my favorite part of the track is as we get towards the end of it because i think that's all of our favorite parts of the track well because what's interesting here so the track cuts out or not cuts out but it starts to do a, a, a fade out uh, decomposition like we've gotten before. We've got, yeah, us... And we even we did earlier in this track, by the way. Yeah. You know, John mentioned a kind of breath mark right before the 145 mark. And, and I do want to say that right before you go on, that that's something else that I liked about this track in that even before we get this thing that you're about to describe, this this track is very... It, the breath marks feel incredibly natural. Mm -hmm. And and I feel that kind of connectivity toward the, so, the more softer, uh, delicate instrumental sections of the album that had no vocals pushed right here, smushed inside the sections that where there are vocals. And when we get to the tail end of this track, we get the strings come back, but these lamenting strings eventually, after the decay starts, are alone. Truly alone, and this is the emotional crux of the record for me. Here, I feel something from the strings that I've not felt on the whole record, and I think it was leading me to this moment. Well, this is our requiem, essentially. I mean, it's they're wretchedly sad at this point. I, I feel the need to attribute an emotion directly, because yeah. uh, it, it is true what John said earlier, that there's been some emoting of specific instruments, and yet this is the one where I suddenly do feel kind of emotional. There's something... Yeah. There's something big about this and meek at the same time, a kind of forlorn way to end, to end the album. Um, and what I really love is the fact that they actually grow more and more isolated as the track gets nearer and nearer. It's not like they're just all of a sudden alone. They just, they close in, they close in until you realize they are alone. And then that final misty chord that holds over the very final string motif. This is the, the tail, tail end of the piece, the mist 
holds over and you get a repeat of the same things. That was the only final little additive there. And once again, I can feel the film composer within him. I almost wish it was a, another side project of his. I guess if he's doing that, that should be his main project. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm extremely frustrated with that explanation because you skipped over the build. Because it's not the last minute I thought Matt or so. covered it. Blame Matt. No, no, no. There was more of a build because I love that section. I don't think it works nearly as well without the preceding like minute and a half of the xylophone comes in with the strings. When we first get the strings on this track as mm-hmm. a as a rebuilding effort, as it, it truly swells to that point with everything else. And it's not just the decay, but... Well, I guess we ha- I was just thoroughly immersed in the music then, all right? Are you happy? <laughs> it's your pick. <laughs> it's specifically that build upward with not just a decay, but like... The record is falling apart on you, like leads back to the Dali thing I was saying. Like it actually, it's it feels like a mechanical failure mm-hmm. more than just everything is falling apart on it. Like yeah. that noise that shows up every once in a while, and then something leaves us. Yeah, and then it, and then something else leaves us. Like it feels, it feels in a lot of the same ways as Second Sun felt. Yeah, where oh yeah, absolutely something wholly natural emerged from something mechanical. Like it was being incubated by that mechanical nature, and it was two points in the album where we get something that was just a standalone string section that really did feel orchestral and it was emotional this wasn't for me the only emotional section but it was one of the two emotional sections on the album i i I clearly said it's the most for me but yes i hear what you're saying that really did feel like it was manufactured as much as that seems to have a negative connotation it was manufactured by an industrial idea or a mechanical idea which is that's that's unique. That's I think it makes it I don't sadder hear. too. Yeah, like I don't feel like we've really had stuff like this since like maybe Putty Boy Strut, maybe specifically Flying Lotus. That track felt like at the end of it we got a butterfly from an assembly line. Well, yeah, and even though we watched the video, you absolutely feel that even without the video, you know, because that's essentially what happens in the music video in the animated video, but you can feel it from the twinkle at the end of that. So, yeah, I understand mm. what you're saying. But Putty Boy Strut was one track. Yeah. This, in a lot of ways, I feel like the whole sectional of the album, like first half gave us one piece and second half gave us the other one i will say it's getting annoying now at this point so many days in a row to have albums with strong arcs we really should knock it off (laughs) but here's that's that's the one critique i'm gonna have like in this case the arc is the finale of the sections which is a string piece yeah like i don't know if i really would see that otherwise without listening to it throughout i guess that's a good arc but at the same time might be a little bit of a negative well, let me uh, go into my wrap-up. I'll lead, a, lead the charge on trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do with this record. Um, it's funny, because talking to Steve, I mentioned how I'm really struggling with this record. Well, first of all, I struggle with almost every electronic record we do, just because I'm not sure where it falls in my brain matter. You're welcome. Um, but also, I think what's, what's interesting to me about this album and an album like this is like... Why I keep saying, you, it's funny you mentioned Flying Lotus, you know, I I still go want to go back to that album because I really haven't yet because I feel like I would be more favorable to it now because of the way I can kind of wrap my head around this stuff. Um, I think that this album has a weak point in the middle that really hurts it. 
even if it doesn't affect the arc, I just think it affects what it, it just it's we talk a lot about musicians showing their cards and sometimes falling short on our expectations and the first five tracks gave me huge, huge expectations for this artist. And then I felt like six, seven, and eight at moments, in some of those cases for most of the tracks, were a letdown. I almost wish that track seven was the acoustic analog version, because then I could at least claim it was an interlude breaking up the flow of the record and him dabbling in something different. Because to me, track seven, the vocals and the rest of it seem so divorced it really kind of hurts the overall flow of the record. I mean, the theme, theme, finger quotes, I'm doing finger quotes for dramatic effect, is is fairly uh, tight. I just think that, you know, I'm, there's not a strong narrative here. You know, migration, the theme of migration, you can say it's as much here as any other electronica album that we've done that has a theme, I feel like. Places change, things change. There's things an evolution to the tracks here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the music does it's, something. It's yeah. not a steady tone. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. you know, it's very loose. I don't mean, to, I really do not mean to demean the artist to go there. I really have actually been fascinated with that concept of uh, how places change um, in a given moment. I'm starting to kind of change my opinion of it. You can get kind of nostalgic about a single thing uh, far too easily, I believe. Sometimes changes for the better and, and uh, it's it's, it's good to encourage that. Um, so, yeah, address that subject, absolutely. I just don't know how much I really gleaned on this particular Electronica album. Right, but but there's no denying the arc. I don't feel like any of the tracks don't belong. I'm just not necessarily content with the directions they go. Um, and again, it comes down to a lot of the tracks featuring the vocalists, you know, especially the more pop-structured ones. We can just get that anywhere, so I don't want it here. I want you to do the cool instrumental stuff you were doing on other tracks because Mark Ronson's got the pop dance track part covered with a ton of well-known artists. And well, I'm not, I don't know if we're right to that level, but yeah. I, I, well, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, there are dance tracks that do that, and because he's not going all out dance pop, it just kind of falls short of that too because it's not doing that particularly phenomenally, whereas the other instrument, instrumental things he's doing is phenomenal. Um, but something important that John brought up, and I'm going to bring it up first here in my wrap-up, which he'll mention later, I'm sure, there's not really an emotional connection. It's at arm's length for most of the album. I don't really get emotional until Second Son and then the final track figures. And it's only in moments. You know, as a whole, I'm just kind of an observer. And while there is great curiosity and observation, and I really enjoy the curiosities that are presented, I'm just not getting wrapped up like I was in previous records and, you know, on every part of this album. Um, so that plus the, the kind of, to me, weak middle, you know, makes the... He's not by any means average. God, no, you know, and as far as Electronica we've done, I think pretty highly of it, you know, for sure, John, I connected with this more than a lot of the other albums you brought. Um, well, I got that going for me. <laughs> yeah, but but I don't I don't think it's quite upper echelon. I think because he gives in too much to falling back on certain things or, like I said, the tracks that really do hit a pop format, you're, you're letting go of the things that I thought were most interesting. So this for me... I think stands strong at a 4.25. You know, I I think it's it's definitely above a 4 because I feel like 
we're getting interesting choices here that we're not really getting in all their electronica. But it's it's not upper echelon because again, he does give in to some of the safety that is associated with electronica or even just pop music in general at moments on the record. All right. Uh, this type of music, and I'm speaking specifically to tone right now and the way this makes me feel, which is, again, it has, I'll reuse a word from last week, a plasticity to it. I think it can, <laughs> spoilers, I'll just answer both the questions I proposed in, in the beginning of the podcast. I think it is more of the catharsis angle, where if you are in a particular mood, this will sort of push that a little bit forward, get it out of your system so that you'll be all better when you wake up in the morning. I think that's healthy. Um, it is not as much the antidote for me, because antidote is the kind of thing that I need the sort of distraction and the busyness of the moment in order to drag me out of. And the nature of this work is that it is kind of stretched out over a period of time. And that's one reason why I suppose back when I was listening to a lot of this stuff uh, after college, you know, I, I tended to gravitate more toward the catharsis in these days, trying to be all productive and everything. I'd rather just rip it off and get the antidote out of the way. However, I don't want to completely preclude the possibility that this can actually cure you from something. Not necessarily about that. It's more just about the fact that he is an electronic composer and, well, he still likes beats at the end of the day. He's a DJ, and there are beats. You can have fun. There are moments here where I guess I'd be on the verge of bobbing, not dancing. I was. John, yeah. John can attest I was uh, definitely rocking it at the steering wheel uh, for a while when I was on the BQE and really just having a hard time with traffic because it was slow going and then rain and then stopped and all this crap. Anyway, let's get back to the album here. It worked. It worked in, in that instance, and I imagine it will work in many, many more instances if you're, like, hip to the scene, man, because this is the kind of thing that I think, at a glance, could bore some people if they're not into this, and that's what I wanted to really speak to. The fact that I was listening to, I guess, a lot of this stuff back in from college to the immediate aftermath of college, just because, I don't know, I guess I needed to do both of those things, the antidote and the catharsis. And so I was listening to a lot of it, and I have not been listening to it recently, mainly because sometimes that whole catharsis thing can go just a step too far, where you're there, and you're thinking, and you're dwelling, and all the things, because of course it's not short on detail, we've established that earlier, and and all of that just kind of puts you in this zone where you can get a little bit pushed further from reality. And maybe that's, that. Is, I think that's a success on any artist's part if they can kind of give you their own reality and you're just lost inside of it. Uh, but it's, it's not always the best, I think, if you are a ruminator for getting over individual things. Normally, I guess recently, I've been into the more sporadic distraction stuff. That's why I got into math rock all of a sudden and, and why I've traditionally been pretty heavy on prog because if there's detail that is just a little bit more intricacy-based and less overarching arc in, you know, closer to minimalism but not minimalism sense, then, yeah, it just, it's less dense. It gives the brain time for the ruminating. So it all depends on what time, what place you are in your life. But this album was a good reminder because although it took a couple of listens, uh, in fact, John was very keen to point out the fact that uh, this group listen that we had today, being the final of our kind of week leading up to this, it was actually one of the best because, yeah, I didn't really get a chance to listen to it on speakers. Normally, I always assume that the best listen you're going to have is on headphones, and I guess I just was not in that frame of mind to have the intensive focus listen this week because, of course, it isn't going to give me as much in the moment by moment. It's going to give me more 
in, in the broad. And so we were thinking in more broad terms when we were listening on speakers. And thus, that was probably the, the, the pinnacle of the batch. And it, it did finally work. I kind of was, was reminded of, of why I did love this, this style of music. And, you know, the detail that is here is just not the same kind of detail. It's not the same density, except that bizarre moment in the middle of Seventh Sevens. Uh, but there was a lot of detail when it comes to the, his manner of composition between different sections and his introduction, introduction of different layered elements. They don't feel spontaneous, uh, unless they need to be. They don't feel bizarre unless he's trying to change up your perception of the track's theme. Uh, for the most part, I think it works. I do agree, though, with Matt, that there's a dead zone. There's a slight dead zone where things just were not really pushing forward, and he kind of brought us back from that. I also tend to agree that the tracks with vocals, although they are not... It's not to say that you can't do it on this album. Oh, it's clear, just that I think that his talents were not best used in that particular environment. I you agree. know, one thing that really could save it is exactly what we talked about for the last two weeks, and that is melody. Mm -hmm. I think with a solid melody, forget about texture and all that other stuff, I think those tr those tracks would have brought me over. And the other thing is, of course, maybe slightly more present instrumentation in the background. Think, let's say... Uh, Joe off of Tales of Us by Goldfrapp, what we did way back in episode 64, the string work in the background of an album that is overall, it's all vocal, it's all her vocals, and yet it's the instrumentation that is luring me at the same time, and it's both a parallel element, and I didn't see the same parallelism here. Yeah, and I think that was my t ultimate takeaway, was that the vocal pop tracks didn't really go for it. Like, that's what I meant by comparing it to Mark Ronson, is that yeah. they didn't really go for it one way or the other, either with really infectious melodies or the instrumentation. Yeah, but the best thing about this album, hands down, is the cinematography. Whatever that means for you. It's the cinematic style music, which I so far, even though I have... Uh, comparisons to other composers, namely Clint Mansell and a few others, I do think this is a kind of independent composition. I, I don't really have many connections. It's, it's, it's in that department, and it would fit really comfortably in that department. And there are any number of potentially wonderful scripts, uh, movie scripts, that I could see being set to this music or vice versa. I, it's just, it's, it's, it's not there at the moment. I almost feel like the movie would have been exactly the kind of cohesion that this album would have needed. It's, maybe it's in his future, I don't know, or maybe there's actually something in his past that I don't know about. Uh, but I think that would be the environment where he most comfortably sits, just in terms of actually getting all of this emotion across, rather than just the percentage that we were able to get. So for me, that easily places it above the four, and uh, for the reasons that Matt said, the distance that it keeps me in uh, enough places, but perhaps not as much as Matt. I'm actually going to take it just a little step further. 4.3. I really wish I could have gone first with what you guys said. Only because I don't want to repeat too much. Um, so I'm just going to use my explanation for my rating. Okay. Not going not gonna to wax eloquence. Um, one of my favorite authors, and I'm relating this to a book for a very specific reason. One of my favorite authors is Tolkien. Lord of the Rings and everything like that. It's a short explanation. Don't that's, sigh. That side. But it's specifically because of his writing style in his work, The Samorillion. Most of the time when I read, I read for the pleasure of investing myself into the characters and feeling their emotions and trying to be within that situation as fantastical as it may be. 
But Tolkien at an early age spoke to me because of how clinical he was on so much of his work. He would go into long-winded explanations. It would, it would read sometimes more like an encyclopedia than an actual novel. But the way he presented it was so beautiful, I got wrapped up in it. And nothing is more true than in his book, Silmarillion, which is half encyclopedia, half Bible for his Lord of the Rings universe that he created. He has moments of drollness where you're just going, all right, get to the next part. Usually when he's explaining the origins of somebody, when he's going back through someone's genealogy, where he's going name after name after name, son of, daughter of, it gets long. Mm -hmm. That's the only part that's long. (laughs) I was being sarcastic. But other sections where he's explaining like the culmination of the earth and how it was sung into existence is still clinical, but beautiful in that it's, This begets that, and the next section of it can only emerge because of what came from it. And I see something like that going on here, where section A with baseline X gets reinvented, and you didn't see that reinvention coming out until much further on, maybe a track or two later, where the bass steps up and all of a sudden, yeah, it sounds just like bass work that was in the very beginning, but it's borrowing heavily from this theme, and it phases out a little bit, and it's doing something that reimagines how this track was going. Like Steve said, it it reinvents itself by the end of the track into something completely different, or maybe a direction that we didn't see, maybe not completely different. Um... So the flow of this has a very similar feel. It is not an emotional experience for me, except for those brief little moments. And that's another thing I got in Tolkien. Those brief little moments of, yes, victory or happiness or exultation. It's, it's, it's extremely similar in that overall theme. Now, Tolkien is a, for me, like a 20-hour read. For a lot of other people, a much longer read, but I'm, I got it down to a science. I read very quickly. And here, it's, it's only an hour long, but this hour, I was just held in, enraptured in it. I was held up in it completely, that even the two tracks that I really see, the downturn for me, which is just no reason and surface, I, I got through it, and I went on to the next part I really enjoyed. As much as 7 and 8 seem to have a dip for you guys, I was still invested in it, I was still into it. And the two explosions in Second Son and Figures, for me, uh, not only show how, as I explained, the mechanical can give birth to the organic, but Figures, I think, as much as anything else on this album, does a great job of integrating vocalization and some brief words just pointedly bursting out to you. And that's where I think he could integrate vocals. I, I think that's where he shows he can and does integrate vocals very well into his work. So... It's merely when he's trying to follow a format that somebody else came up with instead of his own format that I feel like it's it's a downturn on this album. So that's not much critique. But then again, I don't really feel like I'm too far ahead of you guys. I had a very firm idea of what I was going to give this album. I really didn't think I was going to change it. I did change it by .05 in that I don't want Steve to be higher than me. <laughs> I'm putting it at a 4.3. He was a 4.3. Yeah, that's what I mean. I don't want him to be higher. I think oh, I so you want to be the same as he Steve. He can be the same. I was going to be 4.25. I knew I was giving it a 4.25. And I just don't want Steve to like it more, I guess. 
No, it's a little I, bit I of a can, snide, I can but... think of the 4.25s that I've given recently, and some of them are thoroughly like, that is a fascinating concept. Um, the, but it's missing a little bit of the emotional element. I want it, I want 4.3 just to be slightly closer to that. That's all. Okay. Because it is there. And Fair it's enough. And it's thoroughly there in many uh, tied-in sections on this album. Well, then I'm going to go back to my 4.25. 4.25. You're higher, Steve. Hey. All right. How about it? Right. <laughs> I feel like maybe I need to lower mine. No, no, no. You're not allowed to. I mean, well, I'd actually consider it just because I am... I, I, I'm less satisfied than I thought I was, but well, I'll leave it for the year in review. At this point... I'm leaving it at a 4.25. But I, I want to just point out, I chose this album because I guess the same exact reasoning that you chose the album that everybody heard about us waxing eloquence on yesterday. Yeah. No, sure. And that's and, and I get that. I can see that. Right place, right time for yeah, this yeah. one. Mm-hmm. I see that. Um, and I also chose it for the same sort of reasons why I chose All Them Witches in that it was something that was kind of out of left field and I didn't think we would be talking about the things that we kind of routinely been talking about recently and that will be our final point of discussion for this episode because we're not going to be doing a topic today tomorrow you're going to be listening to episode 250 when we go into critical criticism where we actually critique critiquing and critically we do it critically and and critically yeah i think we got every tense in there just about it it is of critical importance that we do this oh okay please stop (laughs) i set him up for it i had to give him you did you you did and i've been more punny than steve has been lately which is bizarre I had really? a hey, I have been no slouch in the past <laughs> couple of days. Thank you very much. Fair enough. Um, guess what? It's a good thing we don't have a topic today because I have a hefty quartet of word of the days for you. Uh, okay. Don't. No, these are thoroughly connected. You're going to have a lot of fun because... Fun is relative. <laughs> it's a quartet of words with the same suffix but different prefixes. And while I have faith that you'll be able to break down the... the translation of these words based on those prefixes and suffix, the subtle variations and what they mean for music theory may confuse you. Nay, will confuse yeah, you. I'm already insane. confused. I'm going to give you all of the words at once and you see if you could just come at them in any order particularly and I'll see if I can help you along. Those terms are monophony, homophony, heterophony, and polyphony. I've heard polyphony. I haven't heard the others. Bring it in. Come on. I don't break know. it I've down. Heard it. Break down the suffixes. It's and like the, and a the single, multi. Thank you. Uh, what were the other ones? So it was po- polyphony, monophony. Uh, hetero and, and poly. Same and different. Uh, homo is um, the same. Hetero is having different qualities. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to poly on, on that last I said one. many. All right. Bali was many. All right. Okay. Yeah. What's, you did it in not the order that I read it, but that's good. I, okay. I did say you could do I, so that. So are they... Isolate the suffix for me. Polly's many. Mono is that's single. That's the prefixes. Oh. And f- want- and what about phony? Phony. Phony. I mean, in symphony... S- yeah. Oh, nice. So, that's going to help. So... It's, are these musical pieces that are either... I mean no, sound. No, no. I have no patience no, no, no. with yeah. this. No, 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 no. I got it. I got it. It's, Multiple sounds, solo sounds, different no, sounds, same sounds. It's it's talking about how instruments play in unison with one another. You're very, very And close. the different prefixes are denoting whether instruments are playing together, apart, in different themes, or in the same theme with possibly different uh, home chords. All right. All right, that's not bad. That that actually shit, John got a point. 
Yeah, I, I think, should get uh, four for this one. Nope, it's oh. one question. Oh, it's one question. This is gonna be fun when I tally up this at the end of the year. <laughs> this is and one yes, question. that is a new segment in the year in reviews. Oh, great. All right. Um, yes, monophony specifically is a single melody, unaccompanied, unharmonized. It is. Row, row, row your boat without... Oh, if that's a round, actually. That, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's Mary Had a Little Lamb without any accompaniment. It's as you would commonly hear it, which right. is just sung, Some. disembodied, right? That is monophony. Now, homophony means music in which... Now, this is all taken from Wikipedia, by the way. You can... Or, or adjacent. Wikipedia or adjacent um, generalized definitions, glossaries. Homophony means music in which the voices or instruments sing or play the chords themselves. In other words, you do have a kind of sameness between the individual melodies, but you can have it accompanied through the chords themselves. Mm -hmm. But the melody is by itself. Now, heterophony. And hetero, of course, having different qualities. Heterophony is a type of texture characterized by the simultaneous variation of a single melodic line. I think, actually, row, row, row your boat could fit pretty, pretty well into that. And then you can also make it more complex and add a, an accompaniment because you're actually kind of uh, very... Well, that's actually still the same thing, though. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. But you definitely want to switch it up. You want to you change up the core melody and turn it into something a little bit different, but not different. Recognize it be the same, but no, you'd say different texture, different register, different voice. And finally, the, the crown jewel, the coup de gras, polyphony. Polyphony is something that we actually, as much as it may sound like it's a thoroughly 21st century thing, we do not get a lot on this podcast because polyphony consists of two or more simultaneous lines of independent melody as opposed to a musical texture with just one voice, like monophony, or a texture with one dominant melodic voice accompanied by chords, which it references right here is called homophony. Polyphony is just multiple things seemingly having nothing to do with each other, but held together by the glue that is counterpoint. Okay, I actually understood all that. Yeah, me too. For the first time, like, I think since we started this well, like, I We don't I get understand. a lot of counterpoint. Oh, why I want to talk about I counterpoint so badly. I want to. I, I understand the simple stuff that he's brought on, like in the early time of this definitional work. Um, but, like, he gets a little... Ob- Oblique? Obtuse? <laughs> I would like say obtuse. Oblique <laughs> is like one word for it, but obtuse sounds ruder. Yeah, that's it true. So, um, he went with he that. He gets obtuse, yeah. yeah. And this is obtuse, but accessible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. Kind of like some of the albums. And you only get one point of this. I don't well, care I figured that'd be a good set. No, no, it's four. It's four. I'm Ooh. sorry, but that he, he really covered a lot of bases if I rewound. <sighs> Whatever, fine. So <laughs> If I rewound the digital tape. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, that's it. You know, we're I'm really excited that we're coming up on our 250th episode. Um, five years of doing the show is pretty incredible. Um, so I, I'm, I'll do this again in that episode probably. But as always, I want to thank you guys for listening. Please give us a rating, preferably a positive one, on any of your streaming services of choice. Uh, rate and review us. It helps us get featured in di- on different apps. Um, you know, please continue writing in, sending suggestions. Also, something that we've not really asked for. If you have a suggestion for a musical topic, like even our opinion on something, write that in too. Like we've often asked for album suggestions, but I'd love a topic suggestion too. That's a good point. Yeah. Send in a musical term. Or send in a musical term. Outsmart the smart guy. See if you can stump <laughs> Steve. I like that. A new segment. Stump Steve. Stump Steve. I, I feel like only two or three of our listeners Just will do that. Just to avoid being stumped, I'll be reading up on it all week if yeah. I have to sacrifice all other responsibilities. So <laughs> yeah, put me in that position. That's what I really want. Um, but thank you 
you as always for listening. Uh, I look forward to sharing our five-year anniversary with all of you listening. And uh, until then, remember, music is life. And And life life is is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.